everybody. Welcome to Next Planet Over, our podcast devoted to sci-fi, fantasy, and horror TV shows. I'm your host, Michael. In this episode, Andrew, my co-host from Video Night, is on. How's it going, Andrew? Hey, howdy. I also have another podcast, too, called That's What true. Did We Just Watch, Sorry, which I'm tackles selfish. super I'm... weird crap, <laughs> super weird crap that we don't really go for on video night so i spun it off and so that's what did we just watch video night and what did we just watch that's you should have just called it super so. strange crap <laughs> <laughs> well there's a, a movie uh there was a show by jonathan ross uh called the incredibly strange film show which would be great if you just say film podcast but you know i'm not gonna bite his show from 1988 which no. i loved i, I remember that was that, that actually, was that part of night flight no, it's a British BBC show that was like exported over here on various random. TV oh, gotcha. Channels. Okay, okay. So I, I got that's actually what cut my teeth on the weird stuff uh, as far as film goes. But as far as television goes, I was just a regular kid, and I liked the A Team, and I liked Alf. You know, <laughs> have you watched Alf lately? It's it's kind of hard. Uh, the Christmas episode kills me if I watch it again. Ever, yeah, it'll kill me. It, does it, it get better? Because be I watched dramatic. the for some reason I remember being really funny, and then I watched the first couple episodes, and I was like, did it take a while to get to its stride, or do we just have like nostalgia glasses on? Oh, I don't have any nostalgia glasses. No, on no, but I mean our generation. It's not a very funny show. It's not. Well, I was just learning about nostalgia, and it's like the the you break up the words. This is me going. I'm smart, but I don't remember anything. So you break up the word, the root words for nostalgia, and it's uh, two Greek words. One, nost, whatever, is like nosta or whatever that is. It's like home or past, and then the other word means home. Like Okay, that's interesting. Home. I didn't know that. But how it was used back then in ancient times was you can never go home again. It was a bitter, not a sweet Okay, okay. And right right now how it is is it's bittersweet to the point of over uh, saccharine version of that. So you're, it's just way too sweet and trying to recapture it. It's still, to me, a little bit bitter. This is why I always try to reject it. Yeah, well, but, I think it's like uh, alcohol, just a little bit too, oh, hey, that's nice. That's a kind of comforting. And then all of a sudden, this song is great. It's the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and then you, sober up and then you become that. dependent on it. Yeah, yeah. That are you so yeah. Like, what was I thinking? That's insane. American Ninja is not a good movie. <laughs> no, it's not. So many movies are not insane or good. Oh yeah, we've had this discussion. A, a, a mutual friend yeah. loves to say this, but yeah. and it's their it's their opinion. I'm not going to stomp on it, but I'm like, hey, you sure that's that good of a movie, or you're just childhood blindness telling you it is? <laughs> it's it's childhood blind. It really is. And it's, it's that's different that from good. comfort food though. Crazy. Comfort food is like a kind of a thing you acknowledge isn't that great, but it's just enough to to please you. Well. That would be about the series that we're talking yeah. about right now. Because there's so many little episodes, because they're all little episodes, but there's so many little episodes in the series that are great. But there are also so many that are just meh. Duds. Yeah, it's just like, this is slow skipping. And a lot of the episodes, the show the, the show is Amazing Stories, so we, we haven't mentioned yet. Um, and a lot of the episodes are, are nostalgia-oriented. I mean, there's one, literally, where Mark Hamill is holding on to all his prized possessions as a child and then realizes he's lost his adulthood and then he's broke, well, he's got this... nothing. And then, yeah, so, I mean, stuff like that. And Amazing Stories in itself was an homage to the old books. 
that Steven Spielberg yeah, was a Paul huge fan books. of. Yeah. So the 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 show came out in '85, I do believe, right? Am Correct. '85, '86, and '86, '87. Yeah, yeah. So '85. What, what is '85? It's Boomer years, right? And Boomers are aging out. Right. <laughs> the Boomers had had their Gen X kids and all that, and they're aging out and getting midlife crises and all this stuff. And so you have amazing stories, which is perfect for that nostalgia tapping. So. Yeah, and it's also really early on in that nostalgia boom because we haven't really been drowning in the new, you know, or remakes. I think we're just a couple years away from the first TV show remake, which was Untouchables. And you remember how all those old TV shows started coming back and they would just say, the all-new Leave it to Beaver, the all-new Get Smart, that kind of thing. That was oh, just right, around right, the corner. Right. So Amazing Stories is one of the very first nostalgia shows. I think the only other thing that had come back before that was... What, like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the new Twilight Zone, I think, were the year before? Yes, but the Twilight Zone movie also, I think, oh, might right. have been a germ for the t- this TV show. It could have been. And this is like when this TV anthologies show. were just massive. They were in theaters and they were on television. Like, like you said, we had Twilight Zone, we had Creep Show, and then we had those two TV shows. I think Ray Bradbury had a TV show, too. Well, no, wait. Creep Show was the... Okay, Creepshow had, had two movies, but I think you're thinking of Tales from the Dark Side, which was supposed to be Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, was supposed to be Creepshow 3. Right, but I mean, those are nostalgia anthologies, so, I mean, just... Okay, yes, Yeah, because yes, it's an saying. homage to the old horror, crip, you know, magazines, and the fact that anthologies were also becoming popular again. So it's like this colliding of two things that were very nostalgia and anthologies. And the nice part is, is that... You get bored with one, you just wait next week for the other, but also it makes it a little schizophrenic. Oh, yeah. Very, very. This this smattering of episodes that we're going to talk about are mostly thematically on. Two of them are, are good and macabre, and one is fantastic and the other one doesn't fit at all. So, <laughs> uh, so this is when NBC was really just trying to dig itself out of bottom of the barrel. By 19, I think, 78 that they were dead last. And I don't mean just dead last. I mean all their shows were at the very bottom. They, they didn't have, even have, I think, more than a handful of hits. And they're just desperate for anything. So they, they get Wonderkin, Brandon Tartikoff, I think, in 1980 to come in and just kick everything in the butt. So instead of doing all those stale old shows that were drowning TV in the 70s, he decided he's going to go for high-concept kind of shows and stuff that's really rooted in, in, in a gritty reality. People say that about Miami Vice, but Miami Vice is a mixture of fantasy, high concept, and gritty. But you know, Hill Street Blues was that. Okay, so yeah, Hill Street Blues was first. Miami Vice. Let's go back for a second to Miami Vice. Miami Vice. When you say high concept, fantasy, and gritty reality, of course it had the gritty reality where they were, uh, of course, tackling drugs and prostitution and white trafficking and all that stuff, slave trafficking. Yeah, but. there's an episode, I believe it's with the Fat Boys in it, it has <laughs> okay. UFO sightings. Yeah, I remember that one. I don't know what was going on during that. Here's right? the funny thing about my advice. It's only the first two seasons that are really great. That They made it legendary. Three is a disaster, and four and five are just mediocre, just like uh, they start turning into law and order. It's just, oh, we don't have any money for plots or action because we spent too much on Don Johnson. So that, that doesn't hold up. And there's a lot of shows uh-huh. from that era that were just like huge concepts Instant duds, Misfits of Science, Manimal, Shadow Chasers, stuff like that. But Brandon Tartikoff was trying. Uh, was he part of Auto Man? 
Uh, Otto Man, I believe, was on ABC, so he was not. But that was a Glenn A. Larson show, and I uh, believe Glenn A. Larson had a contract. So these, for the most part, my, it was... My reason for asking. Yeah. My reason for asking is that a lot of these shows, because I came to America after spending a certain amount of time in Europe. Uh, I came back to America in 85, but before that, like... Science fiction American television was popular, at least in Germany, like okay. really popular in Germany. So something like Automan has a huge fan base right now because kids our age back then were watching it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these you shows became popular that, later. But... Like, you know, Voyagers was a dud basically on the networks. It was too expensive and it just did okay. And when it went syndicated is when everybody else found it. Like Street Hawk, a big dud that everybody else found later on syndication. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching all those, and I think I watched Voyagers while it was on. Oh, okay. I was a little I'm too old. young. I was maybe five when yeah. that ended. But, you know, a lot of these shows are really interesting concepts, just too expensive. And sci-fi was still kind of a niche audience. It wasn't that mainstream. Everybody thought it was going to be mainstream because of Star Wars, but that was just a fluke. And um, it wasn't until, like, I don't know, ten years ago where a sci-fi show could last more than a couple seasons. It, it was mind-boggling. It was like The only thing you could do was, like, really, really low-budget cable. And now it's just amazing that some of the show, the stuff which uh, you hear is like, oh, five million dollars an episode. You're like, oh my god, really? And back then they're just like, yeah, oh, just million. make a movie. Yeah, and there's so just much. Just make a movie for right? five yeah. million dollars. There's so much competition now. But Amazing Stories seem to be a, a place to test out new writers and directors, and not uh, just new though, but like up and coming. Well, I guess that's new, but like Joe Dante did a handful. Right. Uh, Paul Paul Bartel reprised an episode in an episode it's it's the one where the woman goes to the uh, theater and watches her life oh yeah, yeah i remember that one that was a short film that he made okay and the short film is actually better uh you can find that on the eating raul disc i can't believe yeah, it. Do, you have, do you have eating raul do you have this yeah yeah, I do. Huh. Yeah, but every every obscure, weird uh, little movie always. I have it. And you're like, I, I never even thought about. It. I've never <laughs> even seen Eating Raul. I've only heard about it. Um, right. So I believe Mick Garris was put in as the, the main story editor, and he would select what was you know appropriate enough for the show, and then you know have uh, Spielberg look over it and decide whether or not he approved. This was Spielberg well, when he was gold. Well, he could get anything made. A lot of these are actually Spielberg. In the credits, at least, it says story by Spielberg like first. So yeah. I think Spielberg's like, what about a train that crashes through a house? Write a story about that. And then that's, <laughs> that's the exactly how Spielberg I'll direct it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, what are the, and then Falsy and Brand, the guys who created uh, Northern Exposure, this is where they started. The two shows are so wildly different. I'm gonna guess they're they're more involved in like the whimsical part of the show. Probably. I mean, there's a handful that I like. I kind of like the one which is also heavily nostalgia based because it's aliens that come to Earth uh, and they only know TV transmissions. Right. Which I, I confused for years with the end of Explorers. Ah. Okay. Wow. That's also strange. But that's that's um. Joe Dante, who worked in these as well. So, but uh, the the first one uh, I think that's on our list is Mummy Daddy, right? And that's which my I think would be flat uh, like favorite. That's flat out favorite. Okay, I figured. Uh, Bronson Pinchot is a movie director, and he is 
really fun, actually, as a movie director. You don't hear him doing his Balky voice. Right. Uh, <laughs> I had to explain, I had to explain someone yesterday days. what Perfect Strangers was. And I was like, okay, <laughs> hold on a second. The, the 80s was weird, so hold on a second. <laughs> Larry Appleton and Cousin Balky. <laughs> they did the Mopezy and Dance Cousin of Joy. And then I showed him the Mopezy yeah. and Dance of Joy, and he thought <laughs> I lost my mind. <laughs> no, but you did. You did. Yeah. You'd lose your mind. But that's secondary to a yeah. good story. Um, <laughs> so Mummy Daddy has an actor who is a mummy in the movie. He's a suit performer. Just take it like he's Doug Jones or somebody. Right. And uh, his wife is pregnant two weeks out uh, from, from giving birth. But guess what? She gave birth two weeks ahead of time. So he's got to get off set and go uh, speed to her. But the car doesn't work. But all this time he's dressed as a mummy. Like in the costume, but there's a local lore that there is an actual Amun Ka or whatever his name right. is. Right, isn't that what the movie. movie they're making is about, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's this legend, and he's like, it's based on a true story at least, and he's, the guy's like, uh-huh, sure. But he's like, yeah, as, as long as it puts butts in seats, that's what we're going to tell people. But it turns <laughs> out that the local people believe it's true. So they see him, and it's got Brian James, and uh, the... Dude, I Tracy always Walter? call him Frog because yeah, Tracy Walter. Hey, I always call him Frog because he was in an old Western comedy TV show in the '80s, and he had this little froggy voice, so they called him Frog. But it's Tracy Walters, yes, from also Repo Man. He's where I get plate of shrimp from. I always Michael. call him Bob because that was such a mundane name for Joker's right hand henchman in Batman. You're right, Bob. He's that guy too, Bob. Right, so so that guy, there's this part where they're going to kill him and lynch him, which is very interesting because he's like, we don't we don't lynch people for this, we lynch him for rustling. And yeah, I was well, like, it's also, I, I love that he's like, you're just a bunch of stupid rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can't speak through his makeup, too. Yeah. But, but he says rustling like, they don't have any cattle, it's a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... So I, I think that was a clever, clever writing to get around something else that uh, rednecks are known for or were known for. Yeah. Well, I also love the fact that they're having that argument about how to kill a mummy. Well, he's already dead. Well, what are you going to do? You put a stake to its heart. No, that's vampire. That's a vampire. <laughs> well, by a silver boy, that's a werewolf. Well, what do you do to a mummy? <laughs> right. Who directed this right. one? So Is it Fred Decker? Uh, I can't remember who did this I don't know. All right, I'm a cheap look. I had it at the time. It's somebody we really like. Let me. Uh, oh no 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 no! Isn't it um, Tom Holland? Fright Night. Tom Holland. Amazing Stories. Mummy. Oh Dad. no, it's not. It's William Deere. That's. I did not yeah. expect that. You know what's funny is there's two movies that came out of Amazing Stories that um, started off as episodes and they decided to make them full films. Is uh, William Deere's uh, Harry and the Hendersons and Batteries Not Included. Yeah, Battery is not included. I absolutely think that would be an episode of Amazing. I, I don't think that it would be a good one, but it seems like it would fit the the concept of it. Yeah. Um, but I really do like Mummy Daddy. It turns out that there is a real mummy as well, and they think that he's the actor, so they try to put him to work. It's just a really <laughs> nice, clever, and cute Little story. Popping the cigar uh, in his I mouth, really, and he kind of grimaces. He's like, yeah. <laughs> hey, what's funny is Bronson, Bronson uh, the director, doesn't 
realize that it's different. He's like, there's something different, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> what you're doing. Well, like, the physical comedy. I don't know. I don't makeup. know who's in the mummy costume, but he's so funny. Yeah, he's uh, the where does it say Ezra Tracy? No, that's Tracy. I don't know who the mummy is. It doesn't really say. Direct Harold. 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 Yeah, yeah. That's the actor. His name but is I feel Tom like that guy Harold. only did like five things. I looked this up and I don't know what this guy looks like. And that's he's it. very, very funny. That's it. He's not done much. Maybe he was a stuntman or something. I don't, I don't know that he would have that credit too. So you're telling me the guy who's so good in this episode only got like four other jobs in his life? That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He did six other things. Uh, man. So, so there's that. That one's really good and fun, and the atmosphere is just. Great. It doesn't go. waste a minute. It is constant. Go, go, no. go. The the atmosphere is uh, fog, a lot of swamp gas and stuff like that. It's really good. It looks really good. So, and the next one is a Spielberg episode. Like Spielberg did a handful as well, and this one is the one that he gave a crap about. Yeah. Well, this also I thought for the longest time was the very first episode because. I only saw a little bit on television when it first aired. I got the episodes at the video store where they would package up like two to four per tape. The amazing, amazing stories of the movie. Yeah, book. They call them book Volume one, book two, one. Book, yeah. I think there's book four yeah. as the last one. And um, so I thought the mission was the very first episode for a long, long time. Yeah, it wasn't, but it's great. It has such a cast. Oh my god, I can't believe. Nope. I almost feel like some everybody in Hollywood looked at this episode and said, "Okay, all these guys are going to start working." <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's let's look at the cast here. Well, of course, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's the pop of the. the okay, so the mission is a World War II plane. Uh, it's got a belly turret gunner. It's a bomber, and they have a mission to do, and they don't want the bomber along. I mean, the, the turret gunner along. They don't want him along because it's his 24th mission and nobody's ever survived that. Yeah. So just uh, the chances are getting shot out of the sky or getting shot while in a plane. Even if you get back on the ground, you're going to be dead. So that's Casey Semezko. Uh, not to be confused with my art moniker, Jemezko. Semezko, Jemezko. <laughs> not the same thing, but they rhyme. It's the only two things on the planet that rhyme with that. So. <laughs> with each other. Anyway, he plays Jonathan, the good luck charm, because he's always flown with them and they've always come back. Kiefer Sutherland, J.J. Cohen, John Philbin, who I realized was in this at like halfway point. I was like, that's John Philbin. Yeah. Which we loved in... in uh, North Shore. North Shore. You got a death dive. Yeah. Anyway, uh, two twins, which I was really confused about if they just used one actor, but they're twins, named Gary and Glenn Morrow, and so on. Uh, Karen Hopkins is in this, even, at one point, as Jonathan's girlfriend. Uh, Gary Riley, who is that? You oh, yeah, Summer School. Who is he? Who, yeah, Dave. Well, that's funny, because him and Casey Smesco were in the were in the Stand By Me the next year. And so was Kiefer yeah. Sutherland. Rob Reiner must have seen this episode. Must have. See? This is like a really interesting cast. So they all love Jonathan. Jonathan is, this is actually like, there's zero toxic masculinity in this episode. Right. Which is for the best. This is, well, I don't find masculinity to be toxic by default. No, I'm but in war saying, movies, this it's is, a cliche that yeah. they're dicks. 
Yeah, yeah. There are. There's going to be some loudmouth. There's going to be some guy. But the twins, everybody, the twins, John Philbin, everybody loves each other. Right. If they you remember, you've seen Memphis Bell, right? Memphis Bell is kind of like this, but a few of the characters are tools. Yeah, yeah. There are no tools here, and I, I guess it works for the best. Um, Ke- Kevin Costner is a pilot, and he's uh, he finally agrees. They go, they do the mission. Casey or Jonathan gets his shot and takes out a, a German plane, but the propeller flies into the ship and into their airship and smashes so hard into the side that basically welds his turret shut so he can't get out. And at the same time, since they were being shot up, their wheels have been blasted. Right. They have no landing gear. So now what? The big deal is that Jonathan is also a cartoonist. And this actually appealed to me as a youngster when I saw this. I was like, cartooning? Yeah, that's what I kind of want to do. And so that appealed. And uh, it's got this really cool, fantastic thing where first off, he just keeps on handing drawings or they, they go through his old drawings and look at his uh, his caricatures of them. And that's really charming. Uh, and then oh, the dilemma, trying to pull the thing off. They can't land without landing gear. They're going to scrape. And they're, if they're going to scrape the runway with them, he's going to be jelly on the runway, you know? Right. Trying to think of every way to get him out and their desperation, their logic. But it's a lot of times the stuff just like they waited too long. They hesitated and it's just the stress of, you know, making that bad decision or making a decision too late. That was a really important part of the show. But the the heart that they, they, like you said, they all love him. But his connection with Kiefer Sutherland is the strongest. And Kiefer Sutherland has to do something drastic. And it's just, it tears you apart. I just, I was in tears again. I haven't seen this in a while, and I was uh, really upset. Ah, uh, you just said tears? Yeah. Yes, this is true. I was watching this the other night, and I was like... <laughs> so, it reminded me a little bit of the beginning of Overlord, which I'm not going to spoil the movie Overlord. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. But it, it has a scene where they're paratroopers instead of bombers or anything. And, you know, they're being shot at through the sky, and they have to drop. They have to drop, but half of them are dead already. It's harrowing scene, and I watched that scene at the beginning of this horror movie, which is just supposed to be a fun roller coaster horror movie, right? It confronts you with the reality of our history and what some of our men had to go through. Right. And I cried. I just cried at the beginning of this fun horror movie. I just was like, <laughs> and it, I watched it on Veterans Day. Oh, okay. <laughs> All days. Yeah. So, so there's that, uh, and then I watch this again. Maybe I'm not even getting soft in my old age because I, I don't agree with calling it soft. But maybe I'm just more and more open to just letting the tears flow because I did. It's probably healthy, especially yeah, especially this where Keeper Southern thinks that he has to kill him. Yeah. But then they notice something out the window. What? I can't remember. Casey, yeah, Casey, you don't remember? He's a cartoonist. He's, he's, uh, he's like, wishing so hard. Oh, oh you mean, okay, sorry, I think you skipped over that part. Um, you, they know something out of the window, but he's, remember he asked them one last time to try, we're giving away the ending here, so it, stop here if you haven't yeah, seen yeah. it. Yeah, um, You know, he asked them one more time, please, just for the, you know, the, the, the giggles of it all, just please give one more shot. And, there, and he's just hoping and hoping and hoping as he's drawing. And out pops this giant cartoon wheel. And I'm not just talking animated. I'm talking like a 1940s, you know, MGM-style boing kind of cartoon. And it's just a miracle. Yeah. 
It's very, uh, it seems like this also might have been a germ, and Spielberg was behind that too, Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So so it might have been a germ, like, we can make live-action animation, so these big yellow tires popped out. And that was like, what? But Casey, or Jonathan, the character, is in a trance, just zoned out, having just drawn this, and they land, and then they finally get him out. But it's... Uh, Man, it's such a nice, good, upbeat, loving story, yeah. and it's fantastic. And if I remember correctly, it's... this aired over Veterans Day. This was their big November sweep episode, and it was the only one that was an hour for that season. I think it was the only hour-long one for that season. And, um, yeah, it just seems like a lot of people from that must have been seen by other directors. Like Casey Somesco, actually, I didn't know this until I heard it in another podcast uh, called 302010, where Steven Spielberg is actually the producer of 3 O'Clock High, but when he saw the final oh. film, he was angry. He said he wanted Why? another karate kid. And Phil Jeannot said, no, I want to make it realistic. You're not going to have this kid who was like the size of, you know, uh, a sack of meat, <laughs> you know, taking on this gigantic guy and winning fairly. And he says he had to bring in brass knuckles. He had to get help. There's no way I audiences love... are going to believe that he can beat this guy, you know? I love 3 o'clock high. Yeah. Uh, there's no way he could beat the guy without punching him in the balls. Yeah, he had to do what he had to do because it was unfair. He tried so hard to stop that fight. That's a great movie. We should do a high school. We've never done any high school movies. I think there's some good stuff in the 80s and early 90s that we've never discussed. Yeah. But um, I, I love 3 o'clock Spielberg took his favorites. name off it. He was ashamed of it and told Universal, just like, fulfill your contract. And that's why nobody really knows about it because I think it was dumped on 300 screens with no promotion because he was ashamed of it. That's a bummer, man. Yep. That's one of his better that's ones. That's a bummer. That's that's such that movie spoke volumes to me as as being a bullied kid in school, yeah. not even wanting to be in the fight. Yeah, you I don't you don't want to in any way. That's that what kid. they enjoy. They love bullying you. That's the enjoyment. You trying to wiggle your way out of it. Yeah, that's that's why I uh, really that movie appealed to me a lot. So. Yeah, but so Casey has always been on my radar. I like what that happened guy. to him. I feel like the last thing I saw uh, him in character was character actor stuff. Yeah, I, I I feel like the last thing I saw him in was. God, 30 years ago, breaking in with uh, uh, Burt Reynolds. Well, he's on like TV shows Is and he? stuff God, like this. But the latest thing he does, he, he does a voice for Red Dead Redemption too. Okay. Does he uh, say, okay, so regulators? TV no, no. shows like, <laughs> <laughs> he does Billions, Unforgettable, Blacklist, okay, Person gotcha. of Interest. Right. I'll just he's curious, a I feel like I've seen so long. Public Enemies was his last movie movie. Oh, okay, that was a while ago. Um, 20, 2009. Yeah, uh, third episode here, um, Go to the Head of Class. Uh, this is the one I get kind of annoyed <laughs> with. This one bothers me a little bit just Why? because it just Christopher Lloyd keeps saying, Mr. Brand, Mr. Brand. It's a little too much. It's starting right. to get uh, irritating. But it's a good episode. It's a lot of fun. And that's a longer one, too. I think this is from season two. This is an hour-long episode. Is this Joe Dante? No. Who's Zemeckis. Who's... Zemeckis. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, Reitman. Wait, wait, wait. Is it Reitman or Zemeckis? No, it would make sense <laughs> oh, if it was uh, Zemeckis. Uh, amazing stories. Go to the head of the class, 1986. Robert Zemeckis, I was right. Okay. There's a lot and of fun details by... in this one. I, Dude, I, I really enjoy... Two... What's that? Star Wars. It was written by Mick Garris and Tom McLaughlin. Oh, McLaughlin. Wow. Um... The director of the only, did only Friday the, Borrow, Friday the 13th. The Borrowers. Yeah, he only did the what? He did the movie The Borrowers. Did 
Did the he? borrower, right? I'm almost certain he's the one who directed the only decent Friday the 13th movie, that's part six. He did uh, okay, I'm, Sometimes I'm a Comeback. I'm mistaken with somebody else. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, with somebody with the similar last name who did Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, yeah, oh, Jason John Lips. McNaughton. John McNaughton. McNaughton, okay, yes. There you go. I mistook the name. Oops. I was just going to say the head being borrowed in The Borrower and then this episode, but they're not related, so right. it's not a theme. <laughs> I forgot about The Borrower. Darn it. Um, yeah, so this one this one has a big budget for, for the show. I think they did, used a lot of great visuals. Um, there's a lot of fun character stuff between Scott Coffey and uh, Mary Stuart Masterson. But, yeah, the only thing that bothered me was just um, uh, Christopher Lloyd. He, he just says that too many times. I know it's supposed to be the thing that he gets under Scott Coffey's character. I can't remember the character's name. Get, to get under his skin. But I was like, you're getting under my skin now. Peter Brand and Mr. Cynthia Brand. Simpson. Okay, so Scott Coffey. Okay, well, Christopher Lloyd is Professor B.O. Beans. It's funny. B.O. Beans. Uh, and, oh, gotcha. Uh, he, <laughs> he is a professor who's talking about you know, literary and his literature and history. And he talks about a little bit about Shakespeare and stuff at the beginning. And he, he explains a lot of the motivation of these characters are because they want to love or sex from a woman. And mostly it's sex. He actually explicitly even says sex <laughs> to Scott coffee. Uh, so he, um, coffee is a slacker also who's got really weird decor in his room. There's like uh, Sham 69, which is some punk band from Britain. And then there's also Grateful Dead on his wall, which like no self-respecting punk guy would be no, listening to no, Grateful no, Dead. No. That, that's so, a miscalculation for sure. <laughs> right. So uh, there's that. Uh, I always like to look around in rooms when I see a teenager in a movie. It's just, just to see what the uh, production team had around. There was a movie called The Dark... And there was this goth character. Uh, she's an adult goth character, but you you go back to her room in, uh, as when she was a teenager, and you see all these like Warner Brothers bands that fit gothic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Really you, you don't funny. get a lot of that stuff anymore in movies and TV shows because it costs so much to get the rights back then. It didn't cost anything. Uh, well, uh, coincidentally, you know that was then. This is now. There's an ep uh, a scene where they're going to a comic book store, and I'm looking over his shoulder. I'm not even paying attention to anything that's going on. And I'm just like, <laughs> right? Okay. I'm like, there's a Doctor Who. Comic yeah, I see. There. Yeah, uh, Rom and G. Rom. Joe and you know Defenders and stuff like that. And you know, I was like, they're gonna have to pay Marvel the nose now. They probably paid 15 bucks for it. Hell, Marvel's probably so desperate they probably paid them. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so so this uh, Mary Stuart Masterson is, of course, quote unquote, the object of desire. She's more than that in this story. But Scott Coffey is totally into her. And she comes up with this big plan to curse their professor with hiccups. So it's uh, bad witchcraft by people who don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they keep screwing things up as far as that goes. You know, this episode actually reminded me. Did you watch the one with John Cryer where he's doing the scientist experiment to make the perfect girl and it keeps going wrong and it gets really macabre and weird? It, 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 it lines up with this episode really well. Uh, I have probably seen it. I've seen all the episodes, but I don't remember most of them. These are the ones that really stuck out to me. Okay. So I need to see that one again. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Yeah, <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, so, so this one 
to cut to the chase, they kill him with their thing. They kill him on accident. Like, they don't mean to kill him. They wanted to give him hiccups. They did it wrong. They killed him. So they do another one, uh, another ritual, and they rip the paper that has his visage on it, and they rip it around the neck. Oh, no. And then, and then right? So you're like, I don't know, that's going to... It's going to affect the ritual, isn't it? Like, they foreshadow it enough so that you know that something's not right with that. Yeah, it's like the weird science rules. Yeah, so they do it, and then he sits up, and his head's still on the bed. (laughs) And then that's where everything, basically, in in the best possible way, goes to hell, except for Peter Brand, which you hate. Yeah. So, meet the misters. Time (laughs) to meet the misters. Uh, the Misters are the uh, great writers of past history, past literature. And they're, so these big tomes, these big volumes. And he would have the students stand with their arms out and they would have to hold the books. And he calls that meeting the Misters. Uh, and that is, other than detention, that's the public punishment that he gives a kid, which he does. That's established early in the episode uh-huh. so the rest of this episode is just them running away from him which is just really good special effects of uh it was yeah i mean dude. it's really early uh like robotics what do you call it what do you call it animatronics and yeah, uh animatronics. you can tell a little bit because you know you you and i have keen eyes like you tell okay this is where they put one in or whatever but it's, it's really good for 1985 especially for television yeah especially for television it's very cinematic again i said uh atmosphere about that other episode mummy daddy this one also has a lot of great atmosphere i feel like a lot of of these a lot of these had the classic look of being shot on an old universal lot and that's what i really enjoy i mean that town square that you saw all the time in the 80s you know the one from gremlins and back to the future monster squad stuff like that is comfort food for me the neighborhood from the burbs stuff like that and the the amazing story is they utilized quite a few of those classic sets this this one actually feels a little bit like uh a lot more macabre old school macabre but feels a little bit like another movie that he would go on to develop called um death becomes her okay just sort sort of that manic race yeah that's true towards the end of that movie right so this the last part of this episode is that kind of pacing Zemeckis uh, always and, seems like he's trying new things, and it's only lately is that his movies are trying new stuff and they fail horribly, and it's really depressing because he always has something fresh to say. Welcome to Marwin got destroyed by the critics and actually tanked to the box office, but when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh my god, something completely unique I've never seen before uh, in film. Except it also gets too weird with, with that and with the technology. Yeah, uh, like Uncanny Valley stuff. It gets too weird looking. Yeah, well, so the, the, one, the Polar off, Express is the one that I can't. Putting. I can't look at the dead eyes. But at least he's doing something new. He's always been like the. He's trying to pioneer. Like right. the pioneers don't necessarily uh, make the greatest movies, but they make the greatest technology that the better movies later on use down the line. Yeah, his problem you is know? is that sometimes he's too obsessed with the technology and not the story. And remember, he had to step back to do, what was it, Flight with Denzel Washington, where it was like hardly any special effects and it was all the human story. And that saved his career for a while. But like Beowulf, Polar Express, what's that, uh, the Christmas Carol? Because, you know, we need another Christmas Carol movie. Um, yeah, sometimes they're just bad ideas. Yeah, yeah, they're oddly done. Rubber, weird people. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not right. Was so, it? but this uh, practical work, his practical work is always good, and I like it. This was a good episode, and the end, um, the end is the end. I'm not going to tell you. you. Just watch it. It's good. Find it, watch it. It's actually on some Canadian channel, <laughs> so folks in Canada can watch it. Um, what Canadian, Canadian channel? Streaming Here's service. the thing that bugs me: is I've been trying to watch the CBC or any Canadian stations. Apparently, you have to be a resident of Canada in order to watch any of this stuff, and I think that's or sucks. you have to have a you, you have to if you're going to use it through your internet or whatever you have, you have to use a VPN that would hide your uh, ISP uh, so you can do it. Because yeah. I, you know, I I don't think you and I have ever discussed it, but I've had an obsession with Canada since I was a child. No. Yet, never been to Canada. I'm only a couple hours away from Canada, or maybe four All hours we away. ever do is talk crap about how silly Canada is. It's called Show Me. S-H-O-M-I. Okay. That's... No, I love Canada. I've been oh. obsessed because the minute I discovered Nickelodeon was getting most of their shows from Canada, I became fascinated by it. And I remember in sixth grade, I did a report on Saskatchewan, of all places. And <laughs> so I just have a weird fascination, but it's been really bad lately. I've been just completely like enthralled by their culture. Hey, why are we talking about this? Is it nothing to do with Amazing Stories? I spoke, no, it does. It does. It does. I spoke too soon. You can't find Amazing Stories Season 2 anywhere unless you buy it on iTunes because Show Me is now defunct. Oh, dang. Um, so yeah. no VPN is going to help you there. That isn't. Yeah. It's like CISO. I was so excited about CISO because they had every episode of Saturday Night Live. And I was like, great, all those seasons that have lost. And they went out of business. <laughs> and they're done. Yeah. So uh, go ahead with our final episode. The, the, odd nut, the odd nut here is Brad Bird's family dog. Which I don't think it was intended to be a pilot for a TV show, but it was so phenomenally popular. It might be the most popular episode of Amazing Stories that it did end up getting a series, which had a tortured production, which I think I think took five years to get from uh, pilot to series. I, I really don't. Yeah, it came out in 91, 92. I think 92 is when the Family Dog TV show started airing. But yeah. it's it's not – the TV show is not good. Not good at all. No, it's, it's bad, they, clunky, yeah, special Yeah, they, they cut out everything you uh, loved about the episode Amazing Stories. You know, incidentally, Tim Burton was an executive producer on the TV show with Spielberg. Yeah, but, but you know, it, it had to be Tim name Burton only. Yeah. also worked on the original show, and you can tell – some of his character design style got into the facial characteristics of a lot of the characters. Right. Yeah. Uh, the boy, the little boy, the the rings around his eyes. Uh, the little girl sometimes has elements like that too. If you look at other characters that he signed off on for things uh, that I'm talking about, graphic style stuff like uh-huh. um, like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas or any of those things, you can oh, tell totally. that they're yeah, sort yeah. of like. He, like, he signs off, yes, this is my style. <laughs> but this is it's Brad Bird's direction. It, but this is my style, right. He, for so the longest Brad time, Bird's they only gave credit to Tim Burton for this because they didn't know who Brad Bird was. But he's the guy what? who basically, you know, ran the production. No, he's the director of this episode. It's yeah. great. It's fantastic. Now, the voice acting is, you know, I can't, just, I can't say it's one thing or the other because it's both. The animation is top-notch especially for television animation, but it's really funny stuff, especially when, uh, like, little little tiny things, like the teeth biting at the terrible dog food yeah, and yeah, eating it. <laughs> like, no, but, no, before he eats that, it's just little teeth nibbling it. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even want to have his tongue go near it. It's really funny animation, as far as that goes. 
But um, the voice acting, so good. Toot Sweet, like Annie Potts. Oh, the yeah. Mom. Well, who's it as? Is it Martin Mall? Can't remember. I believe so. Okay. Yeah, Martin Mall. Uh, the kids, I don't know who the kids are, but I want to know who the girl is. Like, is was she a, an adult doing that? I'm almost certain it had to have been a real child. Cause it's just, it did, you can almost always tell the difference. Right. It's very random, but also sounds like like it had to have been written because it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, but we'll the, here's the, the, this is the big plot of it, though, is the fact that they got this dog who, God, they don't really even taking care of. You know, I hear this a they lot of families. They resent the dog. Yeah, it seems like my mom was even saying this. You know, back in the day, dogs were just there as almost like a tool to protect the house. You know, they yes. weren't there as loving, you know, like family members just with fur. And, you know, they leave them outside all the time. It's just one of those things. You didn't really keep an inside dog. And now I can't imagine leaving my dog outside for long chunks of time. And, right. So uh, this is three parts. This is the first part is just from the dog's perspective of how they treat the dog. Right. And then, it wasn't on the carpet, Dad. <laughs> but they give him which the is, thing I, is that food. I, that's I reference so, this show a lot. What's I reference that? lines. I reference lines from this show a lot, especially the first part of it. Yeah. The first two parts of it. But the first part, they they really neglect the dog, and so he does pee on the carpet, and they kick him out, and he's like. Ah, happiness. <laughs> I'm away from this <laughs> abusive family. Well, it's the food. The food is the big driving point of this is because he doesn't want to eat it. He's forced to eat it. Then nobody else wants the food that's at the table, which is different food. They all give it to him. And then he enjoys it too much. So then he's over. He's just stuffed. And he's just like this big pig on the floor. And then while that's happening, that's when they get robbed because uh, they're all out yes. on a movie night or whatever. And he's just like, <laughs> but it kills him when he goes, burr, burr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the the second segment, which is also a short segment, is them watching home movies, and this has the little girl's voiceover, which is some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard. I still think it's hilarious when she's talking about a wolf eating a bunny, and she can't get the words right, and the dad is correcting her. It's just hilarious. Wait, what was the brother called? You dumb nom nom. <laughs> Uh, stupid nong nong head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, see, I'm telling you, I use this this epithet. I think I've nom heard you head. say nom nom before. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, it's all from this. This is very influential on me. Um, so, but then, yeah, see, they, the robbers rob the house. These are other characters, especially the lanky dude who looks like he's drawn by Tim Burton. Very influenced by. Uh, and then uh, it happens again. He's useless. He's a useless dog. So they give him to a very creepy Eastern Bloc style dominatrix uh, dog trainer who trains him to be a killing machine. Right. <laughs> she just snaps her fingers and he turns into this ravenous beast. And then, uh, yeah, that works. But then he ends up uh, being affixed to one of the robbers as they get away. They don't rob the place. It works. So the dog's missing, and then the dog shows up in robberies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like part of their group Helping now. <laughs> but then the dog is crossed when he hears the chubby uh, robber start talking crap to him. Maybe we don't need a dog. Maybe. And then, you know, he helps arrest them by, you know, turning on them again. 
Yeah, it's a really mm-hmm. tight episode. They don't waste a minute in this, and every moment seems to work. It's it's there's a reason why it became a TV show after this because it's just it's so well done. It might be the best episode. It's not my favorite. It's probably it's my de- definitely top five, but um, it's probably yeah. the the production wise must it just it must take it forever to put that together because animated shows you know go so long. And use this is the '80s when animation was lazy as hell. Yeah, this was obviously flat. There was no, you know, shading or whatever. It was obviously flat TV animation, but they made the most of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, Brad Bird, this is where he started his name. He went on to make things that we absolutely love, Iron Giant. Go well, back and listen to that on video night. Right. Was there a long gap? Did he go over to Simpsons? Is that what happened? Because I feel like he didn't – I don't think he was involved in the Family Dog TV show. I think he was on Simpsons by then. And then he parted that eventually into Iron Giant. I don't think he did anything between the two. And of course, you know, uh, after that he did The Incredibles. Um, Mission Impossible. Ghost Protocol. And uh, I think it, The World of Tomorrow was actually pretty damn good. And I, I was kind of disappointed that it, it kind of uh, derailed his career. Oh, I forgot Ratatouille. He did Ratatouille in the middle. Well, he, he co-directed that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. But now he's back to an animation game. But I do love seeing what he can do with live action. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty good. I like it. Uh, All right, so. so that's pretty much it with us on this episode. I'm gonna do another episode with Jacob. We uh, there's a few episodes that I think um, no, they're not. Well, like wait, fancy. wait. What? I do have to address the Miss Stardust, which I want to oh, watch again. Oh, how did I forget that? I'm that sorry. I will, yeah. I will absolutely always be annoyed with that because Weird Al <sighs> is so incredibly grating in that. Yes. He's got a cabbage head. Am I wrong? No, he's got a cabbage head. He's from a planet where they okay, have cabbage yeah, heads. Yeah. Not the kids of the hall cabbage I head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to get into the storyline. It's just some, you know, Miss Stardust, intergalactic uh, beauty pageant type of thing. But he's the host, right? Correct. And Wait, no, no, no. He's not the host. This... He's the one running it. It's that guy. Uh, he played the hippie guy in Producers. I can't remember. Wallace Shawn or something like that? Uh, Dick Shawn. Was... Dick Shawn. Dick Shawn. Okay. Well, I'll show him somebody else. No. Uh, he, so Weird Al's character is just, he does that. This is before Weird Al was an actor. This was when he's like, okay, I'll just, just go for your most obnoxious. And he does that really throaty yell with every word that he says. Yeah, God, boy. So I, it always turned me off, but I always wanted to watch it because of the special effects of the creature effects and monsters and whatever. But I just can't. I just can't with that episode, and it is because of Weird Al, which is ironic because I really can with UHF, and it is because of Weird Al. And if there's I can't a couple with UHF, moments in UHF though, where he does that Michael. voice, he does that voice in well, UHF. Well, yeah, sure, he, but ugh. it's a couple of moments right, yeah, yeah. leading. But Michael R- Richards is the reason why I can't if I couldn't with that movie, Weird Al, uh, UHF. Okay, he's the annoying part for me. All the Weird Al stuff is fine. So this is. Maybe he learned. Maybe, maybe. he learned. And yeah, maybe more like a like, play I, I think he just used it twice. Isn't that oh, the final episode? You know. Isn't Miss Stardust the final episode? That's the bad way to end the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what has it is that they wanted to bail on Amazing Stories after the first season because it was too expensive, and it kind of petered out. And they had already signed. The only way to get Steven Spielberg to come to television was to sign a two-year deal for any show that he brought to them. Uh, yeah, so no matter what, they okay. had to they had to do it. And this is back in the day 
when it seems like it was almost impossible for a show not to last its full run. Like, in one way or another, they burn off episodes. You hear about it all the time now, though. Oh, we paid for 13 episodes. We're only going to air two. I've literally heard of TV shows that they bought a season of, and they never aired it. That's insane. Fire, Firefly only aired nine. Yeah. What was the, there was one that Wes Craven did called Holly Weird in 1998. It was supposed to be kind of like detective reporters going through Los Angeles and like kind of like Kolchak going through like all the weird huh. stuff in Los Angeles. 13 episodes were ordered, never aired. Not a single episode's ever aired. No one's ever found it. I think Fox must have burned it. Wow. No, I never heard of it. Yeah, I just remember that being a big deal because, you know, Scream was red hot at that time. They signed up to a deal and they said, nope. Huh. Yeah, stuff okay. like that happens all the time. So, yeah, Amazing Stories, it was one of those things that just kept chugging along. The minute they get out of that contract, I guess they could. But I think if I remember correctly, they were also talking about trying to do a syndicated third season, and then Spielberg was just like, the quality is going to suck. Just nix it. Because this is back, you know, syndicated television, an episode would be like $300,000, whereas Amazing Stories was probably, i got to say, some of those were a million dollars an episode. Yeah. NBC hey, really opened... Quality. They really opened yeah. their pocketbook for some special effects shows back then. Sadly, most of them didn't work out. Yeah, true. I think it's funny as you, uh, Quantum Leap was one of their big breakthroughs in sci-fi, but if you watch the show, they had hardly any special effects those first couple seasons. Yeah, it's just the bright light. Yeah, and preachiness. <laughs> bright, and lots of preachiness, man. Oh my gosh, I didn't know it was a religious show. <laughs> I didn't Dude, remember. it's a, it's white. That show is called White Guilt, the science fiction TV show. <laughs> is that the Boomer name? Guilt. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Boomer Guilt, the white. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think of that. But anyway, that's a totally different topic. Yeah. Um, so that is it for us. At this epi- I can't talk with this episode. I'm going to do uh, four to six more with Jacob. And uh, you and I will go back to our regular video night. Maybe we'll do an episode at the end of the year or something. Um, yeah, so check us out over something. there. We're going to be, what are we doing next? Booths? Uh, yeah, probably spooks. Yeah, yeah. so uh, if you like all sorts of film, we're trying to move away from some of the genre stuff because I feel like we're kind of pigeonholed with that because our audience kind of yeah. expects it. So this year we're going to expand our parameters a little bit beyond the whole fantasy sci-fi realm. But if you dig that kind of stuff, stay with this show. So uh, Facebook, Retro Rocket Entertainment. Check out his place, Jemetsko.com. Check out his other podcast, What Did We Just Watch? What else do you want to plug? That's it. Okay, that's it. Have a good night. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
everybody, it's the next planet over. Well, it's not. It's not a living beast taking over the world, or is it? No, it is the podcast Next Planet Over where we focus on short-lived sci-fi, horror, and fantasy TV shows. I'm your host, Michael, and Ron's on the other side with me. I'm here. I also made that sound weird. It made it sound like I split the... myself onto the other side, like I'm here, but I'm also there. He's everywhere. <laughs> um, so, hey, six months ago we said after doing the War of the Worlds episode... We were going to do the V episode. That didn't happen. <laughs> we didn't say exactly when, right? No, that's true. It's in the future. The not-too-distant future. Next Sunday, still AD. still in the same year. Well, yeah, still in the same year. We're good. Yeah. Um, so, hey, we're here with V. And uh, this is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, even though I know it's very complicated. But before that, we're going to discuss the two miniseries that launched the TV show, which I, I think, honestly, are, are much better and, and more important than probably the regular TV series. Um, yes. So had you seen this before? I saw it when it came out originally, I believe. So I remember uh, mm. the toys. I, I specifically remember like the little light gun and the, and the spaceships. Um, and seeing, like, I think in one of the trailers they show, like, nah, it had to be a secret when they pull the face off, and it's like a lizard, and, and she opens her mouth up, and I thought it was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. And my brain was just mind-boggling. I was like, what? No. Okay, so I totally forgot about the toys until now. Thanks a lot. There weren't a <laughs> lot of toys. Now, there was merchandising for V because for a while there it was red hot. There was a series um, from DC Comics, I believe lasted 18 issues. I had every single one of them. I was a Viaholic for a while. Um, and it's all about the uh, side adventures and then kind of after the series, a lot of it was about Ham and, and his sidekick and, and going on adventures like Chicago and stuff like that. And uh, I had a, a lot of the, the books. There's, I think, 14 books. Most of them take place at the same exact time as the original miniseries, just in different cities, and their story about how the invasion happened. Um, but there are a handful. Uh, towards the end, it went to a segment publisher, much lower print run, which continues the story after the television show. Those things are worth a fortune. Good luck finding those. So you had all the comics. I had all of them. Yeah, DC I bought. This is back in the day when eBay was brand new, and um, you could pick up an entire series for like 10 bucks. It was so easy because oh, there was okay. no competition. People didn't know it existed. People were just dumping their stuff on there. Yeah, and I picked up the whole series for pretty cheap. It's it's not great, but, you know, I mean, there's some decent stories in there, but the artwork sucked. That's the way it was with a lot of those licensed um, comic books. I can't begin to tell you how bad the Indiana Jones comic book is. It's so poorly drawn. A lot of up-and-comers trying to make a name for themselves, probably. Right. Well, it was really expensive to get the license for a lot of the stuff. So they spent all the money on that. Therefore, when it came time to actually make the comic itself, it wasn't until the 90s when Dark Horse bought Star Wars and Aliens and Predator that they really started to put a lot of money into the quality. So they're more like, hey, my friend Bob, he can draw pretty good. Maybe I can get him. <laughs> All right. So the original series, um, a lot of people know the lore on this, um, is that it originally started as a World War II miniseries from uh, – oh, my God. Why well, I think it, uh, Ken. Ken uh, – son of a bitch. Ken, Ken Johnson. Um, he was going to do a miniseries about World War II after he left uh, the Incredible Hulk mm -hmm. TV series, which he ran. And um, – they said it wasn't high concept enough. There's too much World War II stuff going around right now. It's not really hot. Um, what if you added a sci-fi element to it? And then it just evolved itself into a World War II metaphor via the alien invasion in America. Yeah, definitely not so subtly 
camouflaged. <laughs> no, I mean, especially when he said, well, no, I always get this confused. I almost said, um, you know, the old German guy when he shows uh, the tattoos, but I forgot that's from Monster Squad. <laughs> Scary German Squad, guy. Right. <laughs> Scary German. <laughs> that's right. I, I almost said that was from the movie, but that's, that's actually from Monster Squad. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, a lot Another. of What's that? Another primo movie, but that's for another time. Yeah, you know, you know, looking uh, like the best of the best, the absolute most beautiful people, and the the, the way they design the costumes and, and their attitude that they're going to present something great to save us. It turns out it's going all to the be propaganda posters and everything. Right. All... Yeah, just... lots of fascist uh, propaganda, and then you know, once people start discovering who they really are and what they're up to, I don't think they found out they were lizard people, but they knew that they're up to no good. You know, that's when the scientists started disappearing. That's when the politicians and the police force that were fighting against them were disappearing. And then they were installing their own, um, basically like their version of the SS. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, Go ahead. I'm sorry. They did have a little bit of a nod to where the, the older gentleman in the beginning, I think it was the beginning series. Yeah, it would have been the first part. So uh, people who survived Auschwitz, you know, uh, the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So they got a little bit of a nudge in there. Well, especially at the end, I think it's part one, when he tells them that this is truly dangerous, we need to stop them now, and he, mm-hmm. and he shows him the V for victory. Or was it V for victory yes. or V for vigilance? It was victory. It was victory. Okay. You know, that, and of course, that is the iconic look, which, you know, homage to the show. By the way, uh, way after the fact um, is when I saw V. I actually didn't see it until, I think, 2001, I had rented the miniseries, and then I went and bought the series um, bootleg. Um, back when you could do stuff like that easily on eBay. <laughs> back when it was the Wild West, and there was just nobody really uh, uh, controlling what kind of stuff was being sold on there. So you're saying, I saw this before you did. Correct. This is one of the few series you totally beat Whoa. me to. There's a couple. <laughs> you saw Auto Man before I ever saw it. Yeah, right. right. Um, and we both discovered, I think, Voyagers in reruns. Um, I'm trying to remember this. It's usually though we were kind of like at the same time we're always discovering the same shows. Um, well, I mean, once 1991 hit, and we started hanging out all the time. We would just watch, you know, whatever you taped or whatever I taped. But yeah, the right. 80s, the 80s, I hadn't really gotten to sci-fi. I was mostly watching just sitcoms or cartoons. So I was like, what, seven when this came out? I that, believe. That, the I'm surprised first... I wasn't traumatized. Yeah, it was 83. <laughs> um, was the first one. Then the miniseries, the second miniseries. Um, was May of 84, and then instead of doing a third miniseries, which I think was a huge mistake, is they went to TV mm-hmm. to the TV series that, that fall in 84 to 85. And That's what killed it. Yeah, it just I know it's more expensive in the long run, but when it came to the series, they're just constantly reusing the same special effects. Uh, there's not as much budget. You know, a lot of it's just shot on back roads in Los Angeles, like the same kind of stuff you see Dukes of Hazzard shot on. <laughs> right. Uh question uh what's his name judson scott was he in the well he was in 85 was he in the series he was in the series right uh justin scott he was in yeah he's in con i'm watching wrath of con right now and he was con's yeah. right hand man yeah he wasn't right. part of the original miniseries um the, the cast would change actually quite a bit i'm trying to remember right. um because I, I know basically the main cast, except for the one doctor, he dies and his brother comes in to help. I can't remember if that's in the first or second series. And then, um, oh, why can't I remember his name? Comedian, Michael Ironside. Um, and his crew, they join the second miniseries as mercenaries 
who are there to fight and they, they teach them, you know, because basically what the first miniseries is about the normal person. How are they going to learn how to fight? The doctors, the the, the journalists, you know, the everyday blue collar right. person. How are they going to stand up to it? And the second one, it gives them an upper edge by having Michael Ironside and his team there to teach them how to fight. Right. Yeah. Okay. I I didn't watch every episode uh, preparing for this, so I missed the one where my, uh, Ham comes into the picture. So how did that happen? I forget. Um. Okay. So I, I used to have the show memorized. I didn't watch it this time around because I didn't know when we we're, we're going to okay. get to it. And I kept putting it off. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. So Ham actually comes in in uh, the final battle um, to help uh, Mark Singer's character, who he always calls Gooder. By the way, um, I know my glide side is tough as nails, but like Steven Seagal, he runs really weird. Have you ever seen him? His <laughs> hands are just flailing around. I was like, keep that shit still. <laughs> it kind of underlines like the toughness. Off to the side of it. No, no, I'm just yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how does he come into Yeah, so he's just a mercenary who becomes part of the team in the second one, tries to teach him new tactics and stuff like that. Um, in the second one, or in the, in the regular series, and this is where you missed it, is I should have just given you a list of the episodes you absolutely had to see. Um Basically, around, I want to say, Thanksgiving is when they're like, oh, crap, the ratings aren't as good as we thought it was going to be. It was the most expensive television series out at the time. It was $1.1 million. Even with the reused special effects, still $1.1 million. And, in 84. Holy Yeah, crap. in 84. And, and it had beat Battlestar Galactica. Now, Battlestar Galactica was the most expensive TV show in 1978 at a million dollars an episode. Right. Another one that was short-lived, canceled, because that one's much more ambitious. So, my God, the set pieces on... Uh, on uh, Battlestar Galactica are just huge. Battlestar. Same thing for um, uh, Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers, big, big budget. Bitty, bitty, bitty. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so B, uh, so they realize the, the ratings aren't very good. It's teamed with Miami Vice. I think it's, it was on Friday nights right before Miami Vice, because I know this because those bootleg tapes would always say, coming up next on NBC, and it would say Miami Vice, and someone comes through and go, be there. <laughs> you know, the sad part is I probably watched that too. Um, you know, I'm just watching Miami <laughs> Vice now. I gotta tell you, the first two seasons are phenomenal. After that, it gets real wonky. Um, yeah. I keep reading my point. Still okay, not. so they start. Yeah, go on. Go they on. start over the next three or four episodes. They decide to cut the cast in half. So uh, Michael Wright is killed. Um, it, it, does a black guy always have to die? Really, in sci-fi and horror, they're always killing off the black guy. It drives me nuts. Uh, ah. Michael Ironside and damn, what is that one guy? He was in a band. He would. My parents even met him. Um, he was the guy with the big, long goatee. He was in a band as a drummer for Bob Dylan. and Mickey Jones. Mickey Jones, thank you, who sadly just passed away. Yes. Um, you know, him and Blair Tefkin, who was the girl who had the lizard baby, uh, they go <laughs> off on the, on the road to try to build – I think they're trying to build teams in other places or whatever. I can't remember. For some reason in the comics, they feel like they end up in Chicago, which, if I remember correctly, based on the rules of part two – um, the aliens cannot even go into colder areas. Remember at the end of the second one, they discovered the uh, alien poop? I cannot believe it's alien poop that beat them. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, when... Okay, so I'm jumping ahead here. I'm not telling this in, in order at all. Um, no. Let, let's try this again. Um, this is the most sporadic episode. It's getting late for both of us. Uh, so yeah, the first <laughs> miniseries is a phenomenon. The second one, they decide to make it more action-oriented, less intriguing the metaphors are kind of fading away. It's good, but it's not as good. And they're longer. The second miniseries, I think, was two extra parts. And uh, they end up, Blair Tefkin's character ends up getting pregnant by the handsome alien 
Macho Man, and has a baby, one normal, and then the other baby is an alien. And it's full-on lizard. <laughs> and its poop becomes poisonous. So they, they, when they dry out the poop and they spread it in the air. And thinking about this now, it seems really strange, but it turns out it's toxic. And they, and they tell them all, you know, all over the country, whatever, this is what kills them. Um, so they can't go into cold Was it poop or just... I thought it was poop. Was it... I, was I think it was just uh, something killed them. They... they... Um, this is one of the episodes I watched, but it, it's something killed it that they autopsied the baby to figure out what killed it, and they found something. Okay, okay. Uh, all right, yeah, 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 you're right. I'm sorry. That's um, all right. That would have been a much cooler way to go. That's a lot of, that's a lot of caca. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> in my opinion, in my opinion, though, when I, when I saw that episode, I'm thinking... Did they steal that from World of the Worlds? Because well, it, it is a kind of summer concept because you know the human bacteria, the common cold, is basically what killed the aliens. And, right. Um, so yeah, in in the show, they realize that because we don't get winter on the West Coast as badly as they do inland, you know, along that little loop from Oregon mm -hmm. to uh, Florida, basically the aliens can, can come back because. Uh, the virus did not renew itself when, you know, like, because it needs winter and then spring in order to renew the virus that keeps aliens away so they can still come down on the bottom there. And the whole time they were waiting behind Earth. They didn't leave. They weren't defeated. They were just waiting, uh, you know, for their chance. And they come back and they, they occupy everything else. And it's just funny how all these government officials, all these, you know, uh, people with power to stop it were just too wooed uh, by the alien race. You know, they gave in. It was it's shocking that they were just like, but it's kind of like I said, it's still the World War II metaphor where normal everyday people were siding with Hitler and the SS, and it's just horrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, the guys. Oh, for crying out loud! I forgot his name. Go ahead, Mike Donovan. Oh, Mike Donovan, uh, his Singer, mom, the Beastmaster. The Beastmaster. Yeah, his mom, like totally writes oh, him off. Right, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like, uh, There's this little weasel in the original yeah. miniseries. He's like the one who is rejected by the girl, the, the main girl, um, Blair Tefkin's character, Robin. Robin. Um, mm -hmm. And he decides he's going to use that anger to get back at her by joining that little elite force that, you know, they recruit humans to be part of their team. And boy, yeah. he gets his comeuppance when he fails in the second one. They decide to just use him as lunch. <laughs> as lunch. Yeah. Yep. I still know. You're going to be useful. Yeah, when I, when I first saw that, the first miniseries, I had no clue what was coming around the corner. Yeah, they ate gerbils. They dislocated their jaw like real reptiles and ate animals. But then it turns out, oh, guess what? Ugh, they're going to be eating everybody else. All these people are disappearing. They're being stored in little baggies in, in the spaceship. <laughs> little baggies. <laughs> Sold in the dime store. Right, yeah. They're, uh, they're uh, vacuum sealed. <laughs> All right, so let's oh go through the God. cast real quick. Um, Jane Badler is the main villain who we would see later on The Highwayman. I think she was even in the last season of Riptide. Or, yeah, I think it was Riptide. But yeah, we mostly know her from The Highwayman. Yeah. Uh, Mark Singer, of course. Um, he had a really big boost for a while there. Beastmaster was red hot. You know, he was on TV constantly. V, you know, was a big hit. And I expected more out of him. But man, he just kind of went straight to like direct TV and or directed video and, and cable movies and stuff like that for the rest of his career. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, we have Faye Grant. I lost is... my train of thought. What's that? I lost my train of thought, sorry. That's okay. 
uh, Faye Grant as Juliet, who is the main character, basically. I mean, I know Jane Badler and Mark Singer are listed first, but really she is the main character. She's the doctor who puts together the team. She's your everyman that, you know, you put a lot of focus on. And she's the one that takes control and essentially becomes like their, their, their you know, their, what do you want to call it, general. I guess that's the word I'm looking Right, for. I mean, she's basically the Princess Leia of sorts, where she just starts off as yes. like this lower level, but then becomes like this huge leader. And this is during the 80s when a lot of TV shows and movies did not treat women like they had any sort of strength and power. And there, right there, was a very good um, hero, heroine uh, for girls to look up to. And um, it's just kind of said that it's forgotten about. Like, nobody really noticed that. Right. Yeah. Well, it's usually well, sci-fi, though. Sci-fi and horror are usually the ones that put the female protagonist in, in a, such a strong light. Look at Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, that, that was amazing what Wes Craven did. Yep, definitely. It's like maybe we can help bring it to light. Who knows? Yeah, uh, Ross can help us. Speaking of Nightmare on Elm Street, Robert England as Willie, yes. and I gotta say, Willie. I love him as Willie more than I do Freddy. I, I do, I do. The uh, I like him as a likable character. He's, he plays it well. Right, he's so sweet. But now, because of Nightmare on Elm Street, we only see him in like in villainous or nefarious roles. Uh, right. but he is really sweet here and I really enjoyed his character and uh, he's like the opposite of most of the aliens. There was a small amount of Frank Ashmore's character, uh, Martin, um, mm-hmm. he was, was part of the resistance that wanted to work with the humans instead of enslaving them and, and stripping their planet of resources. Who is it? Oh, not Frank Ashmore. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. And I forgot. I thought his name was something else. Go on. No, it's okay. Um, he was another one of those that was killed off halfway through the series, but then all of a sudden, I think the fan outrage was so big that like, oh, crap, got to bring him back. How? Uh, twin brother. <laughs> twin brother. Yep. Who happens to be? <laughs> Which funny? You know, of course, you know. Now they don't know that he's not. Whatever. He turns out to be exactly like his brother, and they're still. The wool still pulled over their eyes. Right. Well, it's it's funny because they're lizards under that, and they're wearing the coating. Boy, I wish I could have seen. I wish they had the money to show you, like, the overlay. I mean, how do they make the flesh and the hair and everything and then put it over the lizard's skin? And then so so when it's time for Martin to have a twin brother, they're like, hey, we're not going to change a single thing. We're not even going to give him brown hair. We're going to give him the same exact (laughs) skin. That is creepy and weird. (laughs) Well, once you got the mold, why break it? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so in the TV series, they decided this is where the show goes wrong, not just because of the budget. I, I, I complained about that, but where it went wrong is they decide um, the TV series needs to be like Dynasty. It needs to be like Dallas. So all of a sudden, all the women start having huge hair. They start having catty little fights. I think they literally have a cat fight in like episode 15 where they're supposed to fight each other to the death. And they're just basically <laughs> having one of those knockdown drag out fights you always saw in Dynasty. Um, I assume I've never seen Dynasty. I've never seen Dallas or Knott's Landing or the Colbys or any of that stuff. What? I, I just haven't yet. I will admit though that I have seen General Hospital. I saw like three years straight of General Hospital. Yeah, that was out of all the soap operas. Honestly, that's the only one I ever reacted. I had it. Yeah. Well, because it had spies and detectives, and uh, you know exactly. I think, what was that girl? The brown-haired girl. Uh, you know, there were Jack Wagner. Yeah, well, Jack <laughs> Wagner was red hot because we had that album. We played it all the time at our house. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but that was a thing. All of a sudden, they decided, look, we have this cool sci-fi element, but we need to get something to get the women to watch it. What's the biggest competition right now? You know, Dynasty and Dallas, the and, uh, uh, huge mistake. In fact, I think it even aired against Dallas, and that's what killed it. Oh, yeah, that would have been. I keep forgetting Dallas is like, it was late 70s, wasn't it? 
Um, I want to say like 78 or something like that, and it went to like 92. Yeah. So it was a juggernaut. Yeah. It wouldn't go away. Long run, yeah. Um, I should say this. Robert England um, could not appear in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 because he was committed to the filming of the TV series. And so they started filming it with someone else, and they realized the guy moved around like a Frankenstein instead of like a delicate killer. And they're like, oh, crap. Okay, let's film everything else first, and let's wait for a break in the filming, and then let's just get you know uh, Robert England in here real fast. We'll shoot in a couple weeks, and then he can go back to the TV series. So that's why Nightmare on Elm Street 2, you really don't see much of Freddy. But if you remember, he wasn't really a huge part of part one either. Uh, it's not till three that he becomes the show. Like, that's his movie now. Right. Right. Um, and the one this brought up the desire to actually dig those out again. I, I haven't watched a whole lot of horror films lately. Yeah. I don't know if I've just outgrown it or what, but. I have. I have. I, have. I, I, was, I didn't know if it was harder because you have kids and, you know, it's. You don't want to expose them. So, I mean, you can't it was just, just sit down and watch it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was much older than most people were to watch horror movies. I didn't get to watch them until I hit 16, really. I had seen everything just on television, like edited to death. And I, would even, I wasn't even allowed right. to watch that much. Um, for me, I'm bored with horror. I'm just so bored. There's so many ghost stories. It seems like everything now is PG-13 ghost stories. Not to have a problem with PG-13 because there's some great stuff in there. Um I just feel like we're circling the drain. It's all remakes and safe mommy stuff. Or there's that weird corner of the world where I don't want to go. Where it's like hostile and saw and right. No, 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 no. I want the fantastical. I want the classic monsters. You don't want a mythology. Um, I don't even like Fantastic. slasher films anymore, really. I, it, the only slasher movie I like that's been made lately is uh, Final Girls because it's a meta slasher movie. It, it find, they, they literally go into the slasher film. And they change the rules based on what they know about it. It's even further beyond than Scream. It's really great. We're off topic. What, what's it used. called again? Uh, Final Girls. I'll, I'll send you a I'll link. I'll show you a trailer for it. Um, it's the only horror movie that's ever made me cry. It's so good. It's so insanely good. Okay, so a horror movie made you cry. Yep. It, uh, there's a scene in it that's awesome. so powerful, and you're just shocked it's even happening. <laughs> okay. It's like, are we in the right movie? Are we in the same yeah. movie? <laughs> All right. So um, in the series, I had what's that? What? I had one quick question. What's that? The Jenny Jenny Beck, the the little girl, the young version of the uh, the clone. Mm-hmm. Or not the clone. They call it a clone. Um, the baby, the alien baby, right? Okay. Okay. So when I first saw her, I swear I've seen her in something before, and I know she's in Troll, but was she the girl in? Oh, what is that movie called where they're, they're here? Yeah, Poltergeist. Poltergeist. I think she is the kid from Poltergeist. Is she? I don't know. She, she looks a little different. Look. So I can't tell. I should look that up. But um, I don't see her here uh, as the main cast. Um, well, you know what's funny is the other sister from Poltergeist, the one from the very first one, um, she was actually in this miniseries. The very first V miniseries she was in, they shot for about a week, and then sadly she was killed. Uh, Dominic Dunn. Um, she, yeah, she was a brown-haired sister on Poltergeist, and she did a week of filming, and then her boyfriend killed her. I think it was her boyfriend killed oh. her. And so they had to reshoot it, so you only see her from behind, um, yeah. which is tragic. And I think you know the little girl from Poltergeist also died very young. I think she had some sort of uh, infection inside of her, and the parents didn't take care of it or something like that, and she died. Um, I don't see her here. I'll have to look it up. Um, I'll have to look it up on IMDb when we get done with this. Um, okay. Okay, so in the TV series, they also add two major characters. Uh, so Lane Smith, who a lot of people know from Lois and Clark, 
Uh, he is basically the head of the company that makes that red to- uh, that red dust that what I thought was poop. Um, he decides that he wants more power in Los Angeles and that he's going to team up with Jane Badler, Diana, uh, her character, and um, basically have this open city where the bees are in control. As long- and the humans just basically have to work along with them and they have like this whole enforcement thing. It's just, it's awful. And uh, he's a really great adversary he's not really a villain but he is an adversary let's see lane smith nathan bates he's not you said he created the the red dust his company yeah he produced it he they didn't create it but they produced oh, it they okay. found a way to mass produce it so that's how they spray it wasn't tons of poop i don't know what i was thinking um <laughs> you're good you're good uh and his son that's another great thing they did do in the show is that his son pops in around episode three and you know you don't know at first that he's a son, but he's kind of like this reckless kid who's fighting the aliens, and he's completely against his father on this, but he's got to work with him. Um, Jeff Yeager uh-huh. had a lot of talent, and I'm really shocked that he didn't go on to bigger things. And looking him up, and I didn't know this, is that he was originally the lead in 21 Jump Street. He was replaced by Johnny Depp after they saw the pilot and realized that he just didn't have chemistry with the rest of the cast. So it, that's a shock to me. I could see him in that, though. Yeah, he's good, but I guess he didn't. He worked well in the role, but he didn't work well with the rest of the cast. Yeah, well, that's a bummer. Yeah, it could have been a big thing for I, him. It could have been a big thing, yes. Yeah, but, you know, hey, if you even get a good job in Hollywood just once, that's a, a shock and amazement. Yeah, you should be very, very thankful. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Cook. talking about. What's that? Yeah. Jennifer Cook is the grown-up Elizabeth, who is the baby, who, that was a convenient thing. Did you notice they did that a lot back in the old day, where they would have a child grow up very fast? All of a sudden, you're just like, well, isn't that convenient? (laughs) You you don't have to stay working with children anymore. Oh, bummer. (laughs) Now, I knew her from Jason Lives, uh, the sixth uh, Friday the 13th entry before I saw this show. She's the lead in that. Oh. See, I have... Totally must have wiped all that stuff out of my memory. <laughs> all right, I'm going to look this up. Jenny Beck, the star child, right, because she had telekinetic powers, and that was a big thing. Telekinetic powers is one of the easiest things to do in television back then, just grab a wire and move it around. No, she, right. uh, I'm looking at this girl. She's not from she's not from Poltergeist, so I don't know why. Maybe she just look alike. She looks a lot like her, but no, I don't. I know I've seen her in Troll. That was one of my favorite movies back in the day. I don't get why people... So many people love that movie, and I don't get the appeal. (laughs) Well, 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 I was young. You know, we all love the cheap monster... Well, we love the Gremlin ripoffs. The only Gremlin ripoffs worth a darn is uh, Critters. We had Ghoulies Mm -hmm. and Munchies and Hobgoblins and Elves... Okay, I'm going to put Critters on my watch list again, too. The first two are phenomenal. Third one's okay. Fourth one, I used to think it was great, but I, there's a, it's true. Every time a horror monster goes into space, it falls apart. <laughs> Every time. It's like really horrid triples. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, you know, we mentioned Monster Squad earlier and it had nothing to do with this, and yet it does. Duncan Rieger, who played Dracula in Monster Squad, who was also in a really great TV show called Wizards and Warriors, which I'm going to make him listen to, or watch, and we're going to talk about it eventually. Uh, Duncan yes. Rieger joined towards the end of the show as this really debonair, fancy man who was also an alien. Uh, Duncan Rieger is awesome. He also played Zorro for years on the Disney Channel. I think it's the Disney or Family Channel. Duncan Rieger. Duncan Rieger. 
I'm looking. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Meetings adjourned. Greatest, I love that line in Monster Squad when he takes that dynamite and throws it in there. <laughs> Oh, so, so, oh, there's one I was going to bring up, too. Uh, the Judson Scott, when I was looking at info on him, he did a show called The Phoenix. That's right. My mom tells me about that show. Every once in a while, she'll bring that up, and I still haven't seen it. Did you Did you watch well, that when it was on? I watched the, the – I don't know if I watched it when it was on or not. I can't remember, to be honest. But it seems familiar to me, but I watched the pilot on YouTube. Um, <laughs> Gazoo hype. <laughs> But uh, it looked like it, it could have been a pretty good movie, uh, show, but I think they only made four episodes of it. Okay. You know, uh, anyway. a lot of the shows back then just weren't that successful when it came to sci-fi. Like, one out of every ten would last more than a season. I mean, we had The Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman, um, but those are known entities. Of course, we had uh, Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation. But the 80s is just littered with these one-season wonder, wonders, which spent way too much money on special effects and just couldn't bring in an audience. Back then, yeah. sci-fi was a very niche audience. Now it's so conditioned into us. You know, that's all the movies we see now are these huge sci-fi fantasy epics. You know, and we, they yeah. still they do the Flash on a television budget. Every episode looks like it cost ten million dollars. <laughs> right. It's a shock. It's messed up. Well, that explains a lot why I was always let down that I find a show that I love because I really love sci-fi. Yeah. So I find a show I love, and then it would kill. They'd kill it. And case in point, Auto Man. I mean, it seems like I've gotten to the point where I've started to believe that if I liked something, <laughs> I'm going to be the death of that show. Right, Briscoe <laughs> Kenny Jr. I mean, of course, they dropped a sci-fi element halfway through, which annoyed both of us to no end. Uh, right. What's that one we like? Hard time on planet Earth. You know, if they have groundbreaking mm-hmm. special effects, it's going to get canceled. Mantis, Sequest. Yes. See, Sequest, I think is one of those. Shows. It tried to come back, didn't it? Uh, well, yeah, I remember uh, there was two seasons where it was really cutting edge special effects, and they tried this huge epic world. And then in season three, Roy Scheider was like, "Look, I'm out of this. I'm just done." And then they uh, cast Michael Ironside for like the last thirteen episodes. I don't know. I gotta revisit that show. Um, that's one that I feel like uh, deserves like another look. I really love that because it, it took it's kind of a Star Trek type element, but it moved it to Earth, yeah. like, in our own backyard. And anyway, well, you remember that's Earth for Two? Earth Two was a great one too. They spent a lot of money on it. Yes. It barely lasted. There's one called Man and Machine, where a guy gets a cyborg cop, which isn't the first show because I think there actually is a show called Cyborg Cop with uh, uh, crap Airwolf, uh, uh, not George Kennedy. Um, Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine was in a TV show with like a, a, a cop. Where he was like, future cop. That's it, future cop. So yeah, there's yes. a lot of these interesting ideas that just didn't go anywhere. And, and that's the thing about V is that it had so much built-in potential ahead of time. The two miniseries really give you like this big, epic thing. And it's just, like I said, reuse special effects, killing the cast off halfway through, um, you know, editing down... The, you know, a lot of stuff. You remember how the first season starts off with Howard K. Smith? He would open up every single episode with this intro telling you what was going on with the resistance. Um, like, you know, like some sort of news network where it was just all about the resistance. And then halfway through mm-hmm. the series, they, they got rid of that. And I was like, well, that kind of killed it a little bit. And I think the last five or six episodes are like this mad rush to get the show done before they canceled it. Like, let's just wrap all those stories up right now. <laughs> that, yeah. 
when they know something, they see the writing on the wall. That yeah. Sort of thing, yeah, but I think it's better that way. This actually kind of had it didn't have a, a lockdown ending, you know, like where it was like there's nothing else that could ever happen in case they did get renewed. But they did wrap up a lot of stuff, thankfully, because I've seen so many TV shows where they leave us on a mm-hmm. cliffhanger. You're like, a son of a, oh, come on. Right. Yeah, I'm with you there. I got to the point where, for like a short stint there, where I just quit watching TV. Yeah. I wait. <laughs> I know. I wait now until a show is done, and then I yeah. will. Uh, oh, hey, the whole thing's on uh, Netflix. Cool. And it actually had an ending. Great. Because I don't want to get yeah. the last TV show I watched was The Player, and I was like, what, four years ago with Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. Um, where this guy would go on these insane competitions, uh, underground fighting and stuff like that. Um, but it was all in order to find his wife who went missing. And uh, I was really into it. And uh, episode six, they're done. I'm like, no, you didn't have any. <laughs> we just need to stop liking things. I just uh, hmm. um, I don't know how that's going to work. But <laughs> the uh, this is of such a nerd that I am. Uh, the third episode of V called Breakout um, has uh, Mark Singer. Uh, Mike Donovan looking for his son. Actually, the whole time he's looking for his son, he disappears after the first miniseries. Um, and uh, he runs into another kid who reminds him of his son, and he knew his son. And uh, that little kid in the episode where they're all in the little prison camp is the lead singer of the Aquabats. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, he was an actor before he was in the band. And uh, so, yeah, he did, I think, a couple episodes of Married Children, a couple of Silver Spoons, episode of Vina, a little bit else. But for the most part, he didn't do a whole lot of acting. But, yeah, yeah he went on to be the creator of Aquabats. <laughs> we love the Aquabats. Now, his son. Thank, for, thank it, you for that, by the way. Oh, no problem. I love. Oh, wait, are you watching it now? I love the Aquabats so much. I, I, on and off. But. Yeah, they're, they're a family-friendly, you know, rock and roll band, and it's so hard to do that because either it's too cloying or too religious, um, or you go to the opposite spectrum and it's not family-friendly. It's like, I didn't realize there's so many F-words in the song. I, I, mean, I haven't listened to this in 20 years. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, they're, they're fun, and they talk about sci-fi and fantasy and all these great things. Um, okay, so let me wrap this up because we're kind of going along on this one. Um Somebody has to work tomorrow. We don't do that. Well, how long are we going? I guess we're not going that long. We usually stop around an hour, but I'm not going to go that long. Um, uh, some of the creative people behind the show, Stephen D'Souza uh, was a writer and, and main editor, I think story editor for the show. And he would go on to do like 48 hours, uh, worked on Commando, Lethal Weapon, I think Die Hard, um, did the god-awful Street Fighter movie with Van Damme. <laughs> oh, come on, man. That was a classic. Now, Bruce, Bruce Seth Green, which I was convinced was Seth Green's dad, because he also directed Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which Seth Green was in. No, just coincidental name. <laughs> I bet they had a little funny chuckle over coffee about that. Yeah, it's like, nope, not related. Uh, Kevin Hooks, the director of Black Dog and Pastor 57, started on this. He directed yeah. a bunch of episodes. I'm trying to look. Is anybody Love else? Love Black Dog. <laughs> Trying to look at some of the names I recognize. Nah, it was pretty much just your standard TV fare. Um, so this did continue in a way. There is another book called uh, The Next Generation, which came out, I want to say in 2007 or something like that. Kenneth Johnson came back. He said, hey, look, uh, TNT is interested in doing this as a, a reunion miniseries because there's been a lot of interest in the original. There was even a thing on Saturday Night Live where Smashing Pumpkins performed and and, and uh, they were wearing a V shirt. Really? And, and uh, 
so TNT optioned the book, turned into a script, whatever, and they didn't go forward with it. And then ABC showed interest in 2009 and said, look, we're really excited about this. We want to do it, but we're not going to do a continuation. We're going to clean the slate and start over. And Kenneth Johnson was like, yeah, I'm out of that. I want to continue the story that I created. So, you know, the guy who created the 4400, that sci-fi miniseries Taken, I can't remember his name, but he's, he's a good writer. Um, he was in charge. It's fine. The first season is much better than the second one. And uh, I just I feel like the second one just kind of lost all the potential of the first season. But it was good. It's not bad. It's it's much more dead serious. Um, not that yes. there wasn't not that there wasn't high stakes in the first one, but there's a fun sense of adventure throughout V. Whereas the miniseries shot Canada looks dreary. Everybody looks dreary. It's just uh, kind of mopey. <laughs> I really liked the for the the new re- realization of it to be honest, but uh, probably more nostalgic for as far as that goes. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. Yeah. Or maybe I just really really wanted to. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if we should give spoilers or not on that. But I guess it's all out there on the internet anyway. Yeah. And they, they tried. They tried but, uh, forever to get it going. Uh, you know, they wanted to pick it up on streaming or, or another station. They tried. There is a web page called Ilana's V page, which she started, I think, on like like 99. And, man, they're thorough. They do interviews with the cast. They have all these behind-the-scenes pictures. They tried for years to get people to, you know, write in, get the show going, save the show. I mean, I don't know Ilana, but, man, she did a hell of a lot of work for a decade keeping that franchise alive. Was it? What's her name? Um, Adler. Yeah. Uh, Adler. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. This is like the only nod, really, from the original cast. That's true. Like she's in the new one as Diana, which is that kind of threw me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because this is not supposed to be. Did the Earth forget about it? You know. Like, well, doesn't, it's doesn't, not that kind of thing. It's a reimagining, right? Yeah, so, I thought that Mark Singer showed up in the new series as well as like a homeless man who ends up joining the resistance for a couple episodes. I, I mean, I imagine that. I don't know. Let's check it out. Mark Singer. Yep, he's in there. Lars Tremont. <laughs> what a bullshit name. That's <laughs> like a spy name. What's your name? Lars. <laughs> Tremont Lars. My name's Lars. <laughs> Tremont. Um, oh, no, one episode. All right. <laughs> The uh, the show I didn't know this until I just read this right now is that they kept the stuff in storage forever and a day and I feel like I saw one of the vehicles like there's a scene in a movie where they're going through a junkyard and I see the vehicle from V in the background I could, maybe I imagine that too but you know I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised I, no, if, I want to think of with you on that one yeah um, but yeah they try to pick it up as a syndicated series. You know, Warner Brothers thought about... Because Warner Brothers are starting getting into the syndicated shows, like they continued Kung Fu and stuff like that. And I think they did Super Force. So, oh, Babylon 5 was another big one for them. So they thought about going ahead with uh, a V, the next chapter, which would come, you know, be five years afterwards and take place in syndication. J. Michael Straczynski um, is the one who uh, was going to be guiding that show. But, you know, then he went on, of course, to Alienation, and then Babylon 5 is his big epic. I love Babylon 5. See, another got... great show that, anyway. Yeah, well, at least it had five seasons, and it had, yes, what, it had the, five seasons. the Crusade, and then there was, like, what, two or three movies? Um, that's one that I want to revisit, because I only watched the first season, and I didn't think the first season was that great, but I heard that once Bruce Boxleitner came in, it just was phenomenal. It did. It got better. Okay. Yeah, a lot of those special effects, those early CGI special effects, man, they don't hold up very well. But I was watching uh, 
I'm watching the Star Trek series right now, the uh, the movie series, and I'm watching uh, Search for Spock, and I'm watching the special effects. I'm like, that special effects in 1984, that is amazing. I look at the budget, I was like, that's not even a very expensive movie. They just got the right people to do it. All right, I got a side check here. <laughs> okay, I thought I lost you for a second. There. Uh, come back, come no, you over there. <laughs> come back, you've gone too far. No, I was. You got me down that rabbit hole trying to figure out what movie that vehicle was in. Uh, the V vehicle was in because I know I've seen that little snippet somewhere. Before. Yeah, I anyway. think I, I think we even talked about it. like I saw it in a movie or whatever, and I, I took a picture and I sent it to you, and I was like, "What? It's been there this whole time?" <laughs> and I thought it was a movie that we had seen time. before. Yeah, you see that sometimes though when the, these little bits and pieces from other TV shows will show up. Um, yep. I always thought that they would reuse the stuff from uh, V and other things, but you know, Battlestar Galactica they reused those ships numerous times, especially in like low rent directed video movies. They would just like sell them the footage. Oh yeah, so I know when in our other podcast that we've done, we've covered a couple of vehicles that show up in just like bit parts. Yeah, they're a main vehicle, but they're in bit parts in another. TV series or something along those lines. It's like, it's sad that that's what happens to some of them. But the uh, is funny is um, I I saw a vehicle, a white vehicle that had the V logo, you know, the alien thing on the side mm-hmm. of the car, and I was like, oh, does he understand that was supposed to be a metaphor for the swastika? I don't think he does. <laughs> oh, it was a jeep. It wasn't a car. It was a jeep. That's right. Um, yeah, I really enjoy the show, even though there's sometimes where it's really campy and it's like over the top and it's like, oh, you're going the wrong direction. But still, it's a hoot. I really enjoy it. I, I should have taken the time to rewatch it, but I've seen it like five or six times all the way through, so I kind of had it memorized. Yeah. Like I said, I was a Viaholic well, for a while. I I wasn't quite that part. See, I may have seen it before you, but you were more in-depth into it than I yeah. was. <laughs> well, I have those sure. things, though. You know that. I have these mini obsessions like where I really lock down into something. I have to I have to experience everything in that world. And then I'm like, well, I have now. Time's up for the next thing. Move it on. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. As long as it doesn't take over your whole life. No, no. Good guy. Well, I have to, I'm too short of attention span for that kind of thing to happen. It's weird when people right. like truly devote themselves. Like it's, it's amazing. Like some stuff I get. Star Trek has a huge array of stuff that you could collect and build a world of. And then not so much. Um, I, you know what's cool is I went to the sci-fi museum in Seattle and they have one of the V blasters on display. V blast. Oh. The guns, the handguns. V blast. Okay, that's what I thought you meant. But I'm like, is that a car or something? <laughs> <laughs> no V blast. It shoots vegetable juice right into your mouth at high speeds. <laughs> Beware of your tonsils, kids. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay, so hopefully the next episode won't take us six months. We're not gonna say what it is because I'll just shoot myself in the foot. Um, but um, my friend Andrew and I, who do video nights, we're going to we're not going to be doing twelve episodes a year now. We're going to drop down to six or five years in, kind of slow it down a little bit. And uh, he's going to come over here and help me do some episodes while you and I try to put some stuff together. But we're going to do amazing stories on the next month's episode. My Ooh. sister is coming in nice. also to help out. We're going to discuss the stand. So those are two shows that we uh, oh. trying to put together. I've been thinking though, like I want to get, I want to send you uh, Wizards and Warriors, which uh, Duncan Rieger was. I definitely am on board with that. That and uh, there's one called Otherworld, where this family finds a gateway into this whole like fascist universe, um, and they have to try to find their way home. There's the Voyagers, Voyagers, we gotta do Voyagers. Yeah, I just found that on uh, Amazon today. Oh, nice. Uh, there's Wiz Kids. That's not really sci-fi or fantasy, but they use science to solve mysteries. 
And I think that counts. Yes. Um, what are some other ones that we're talking about? Uh, a Hard Time on Planet Earth, I definitely want to watch. Um, Mantis. Uh, there's some cheesy ones. We can do some. We can do one about syndicated TV shows. Because, you know, you and I could probably just watch one or two episodes and get the gist and go with that. <laughs> I think we're pretty good at that. <laughs> um, there's, there's the sci-fi ones, too. Or not the sci-fi. The fantasy ones like uh, Hercules and Xena. And there's the Robin Hood one. And Sinbad's uh, Amazing Adventures of Sinbad or something like that. During that whole Hercules craze. Hercules, Hercules. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Know what you're talking about. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> I think that's pretty much it for you here. Check us out on Facebook. We have a group we put together where we can all talk about new sci-fi and fantasy TV shows that are coming out. Um, it is called Next Planet Over. The same as the show. And uh, that's it for me. Anything you want to say before we go? No, hopefully uh, it'll be a lot sooner next time. Yeah, well, things happen. But, um, yeah, I'm going to kind of slow it down after Christmas, and then, um, yeah, you and I can knock out some episodes during the winter. That's right. That works. All right, and then maybe you, I'll right. pick a show where you don't have to watch every episode. That's part of the problem. Uh, originally, the idea of the show was we were going to watch the pilot episode and say what we thought about it and decide whether or not we're going to continue. He's a completionist. Mm. <laughs> What? You, you're kind of, you, you told me that. You're like, I can't just watch one episode. I got to watch the whole thing. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I still got every other episode still on my list here. I just, I had to pick and choose. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I thought about doing Superboy, but um, I, I don't, it's not called Worst Planet Ever. Um, that show is god awful crap. I, I watched about 10 episodes. I was like, nope, I can't even find a good one to share with you. So forget it. I'd rather watch like Super Dog or something. Well, there was Crypto, yeah, that cartoon. No, um, I was thinking maybe we could uh, we could watch Lois and Clark or something like that, which is a much better show. Oh, and then talk about Super. Or we talk about Smallville. That's more appropriate. Talk about Smallville and then talk about oh, Super because Smallville fixes everything. Sitting over there. What? I'll, I'll tell you I'll, this though. I wish Smallville wasn't ten seasons. I wish it was five seasons of amazing episodes oh. instead of every other episodes. Oh, okay, another guy found a rock. He got a power. Great. Same plot. Yeah, and then ending with, okay, well, yeah, he's not putting on the cape. Are you nope, serious? No, no, and then, uh, oh, is Lex here? Lex is not here. Lex is kind of here, but uh, Michael Rosenbaum quit. So uh, he's we're only going to do a voiceover of someone who sounds like Michael Rosenbaum. That's really, that's how you're, okay, you're going to end the show that way. All right, awesome. <laughs> so we better be careful. We're going to not have a show to do for that. No, I know. I think I just ruined it. Uh, and also, I said goodbye like two minutes ago, so we should probably go. All right, everybody, have a All good right. night. Yeah. See you later. Keep looking toward the skies, Rocketeers! <laughs>
everybody. It is the 30th anniversary of Mystery Science Theater 3000. We're going to discuss the history of our favorite episodes. I'm your host, Michael, and on the side over here is Ken. Hello. Uh, why, why did I just say Ken? It's, I'm not that familiar with you. That's just rude. Sure you are. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I should be talking about it, but they don't know you. Uh, Ken Reed, stand-up out of Boston, hosts the TV Guidance Counselor. You have an awesome album out. Uh, second album coming? Uh, I don't know. If I get the money, if I can decide that it's uh, it's uh, agreeable to lose the amount of money one loses <laughs> when they put on an album again. And uh, some people, you know, outside of Boston and LA, will know you probably because you've hit a lot of the comic cons lately. Been a moderator and host for a lot of the panels there. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. Denver is the big one. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many people you get to talk to. It shocks me. Now you've been able to talk to I think what Joel Hodgson, right from and uh, Jonah Ray from Mystery Science Theater. I have. Yep, Jonah's been on the show. Yep. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And, so and I was uh, I had a I had a non-speaking part in uh, Jonah's Hidden America. Oh, oh, I think I remember you telling me about that. Was that a that was a YouTube show? It was on um, what was it called? It was it was some streaming service that uh, NBC did. Oh, that, CISO. Um, yes, it was CISO. Yeah, the only place to get that chunk of Saturday Night Live that I adore so much. That is like lost, and, and for some reason they're embarrassed by it. And I, I think there's some really good stuff in there. What the eighty to eighty five? Yeah, that era is so strange. It's like they're throwing whatever they could at the wall just to see what sticks. Yeah, and that's kind of where Joel Hodgson really broke out and became a national name. And but I, but from what I was reading is that he was disgusted by the behavior of like a lot of the execs, just like forcing projects onto him that he wanted nothing to do with. Yeah, he quit like three times. He quit just like showbiz altogether. But what's cool is that he, he went back home and created his own thing, and it's become legendary. This little homemade <clears throat> project. Yeah, and it's. Uh, have you seen the KT the uh, KTMA episodes? Yeah, the uh, I've seen a dozen. They're real, really rough because, like you said, they, they are. They're improv, right? Yeah, they're all improv, so they didn't write any of that stuff down. And they also, um, they haven't quite figured out how to make jokes and you and have you be able to still watch the movie. So they're erring on the side of not interacting as much. Yeah. And so it's, it's strange. Long gaps, but there's some movies in there that I really like, which they've never been able to do again, which I, I would think that they would because they're like low-budget, lost Canadian films that you know aren't even on DVD, like The Last Chase, City on Fire, stuff like that. Um, what's the one with the ants? Oh, yeah. Oh, Them? Nah, there was one. It was like a Canadian movie where it was... Uh... Empire of the Ants? Nah, something like that. I'll, I'll remember one day. I don't like cheating by looking online, but I feel like cheating. <laughs> Phase 4. Yeah, Phase no, four. same way. Oh, phase four, yeah. yeah. That was actually shot by a guy who um, had only made documentaries before that. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that period is uh, the, the, the lost era where you only see, like, YouTube clips and, and, you know, bootleg episodes. Did you ever trade tapes? Oh, of course. Yeah, I, I, I didn't exactly trade. I traded money for <laughs> uh, tapes, which we were selling you the blank VHS cassette, but we're going to put three episodes on there as a bonus free item. That's the deal that they were Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, what was the first experience you had with the show? Uh, I saw the first episode I saw was Robot Monster from season one when it was on the Comedy Channel. Oh, you're and lucky. It was on a you, you had the Comedy Channel. See, I never got to experience Ha or Comedy Channel. It was after it became Comedy Central when I uh, first saw it. We did not get Ha, 
but we did get the Comedy Channel. And uh, previous to that, it was actually when it was first launched. I think I, I watched it launch on uh, New Year's Eve, I think 1989. Uh, and I remember it going on air. And it was called CTV for comedy television, which they then had to change because there's a CTV in Canada. Right. And so they changed it to the Comedy Channel. And it was pretty soon after that, at about two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, I saw the uh, the Robot Monster episode. And it was after an episode of, uh, of Onion World, which I always liked. I didn't realize The Onion had been around so long. We were doing a little research on the old stations for a different show that we do. and Unrelated. Really, it's not. It's not from the magazine. I saw that. No. It, nope. Wow. Nope. It was Rich Hall's unrelated show. Um, okay. It's very weird. Speaking of Saturday Live, yeah, Rich Hall. He was on that one season, eighty four, eighty five, and in a very unique voice. And sadly, I, I don't think he's really popular here anymore. Oh yeah. But he's huge in the UK, I guess. Yes, he does a character called Otis Lee Crenshaw <laughs> over there. That's like a like a ex con musician. Were you kind of that sells obsessed? out huge theaters. Were you kind of obsessed with Comedy Central or what were you, the Comedy Channel when it first came out, like just watching constantly? Oh, yeah. There are comedians yeah, now. Fantastic. There are comedians now that I see that I will remember their bits. I mean, that one little, uh, like, oh, Alan Havey, like watching Night After Night. And what was the one where it was just one con- uh, one person in the audience? Or is that the same show? Oh, that was Night After Night. Yeah, they had an yeah. audience of one. Okay, so which one was the one with Paul Yeah, Oh, Alan Havey's thing was great. Paul Provenza was in Comics Only, right? Well, Comics Only was Paul Provenza, but that was a Ha show. Okay. So that came to that came to Comedy Central when the two channels merged. The Comedy Channel sort of format was uh, there were MTV networks, and it was essentially Comedy MTV. So you'd have shows that were basically hosts hosting like three-hour blocks of clips of stand-up and clips from movies and short films and that kind of stuff. So you had uh, Rachel Sweet had a thing called The Sweet Life. That was like a three-hour block. Uh, there was a thing called Short Attention Span Theater that Jon Stewart hosted. Definitely remember that. There was uh, – Night After Night was a talk show, so that was a little different. Uh, Tommy Sledge had a, had a show and The Higgins Boys and Gruber. Wow, a lot of those really didn't make it over when they combined the two. What was the other channel like, Ha? Was it just like old reruns of HBO stand-up and sitcoms? Yeah, because Ha was HBO Networks, and it was run by Lauren Michaels. So they had all the SNL, all the SNL uh, reruns, uh, most of the old television reruns. That was all from the Ha channel. Okay. So, so Mystery Science Theater is the only like outside of their production companies. Uh, show like if i remember correctly they had to pitch it to comedy channel and sell their show to them they did and it was produced still in minnesota so it was uh the comedy channel was based out of new york it was out of the mtv building in times square and yeah they they were making it in minnesota so they would just basically send them tapes and it would air wow what do you think the budget was like in the beginning five thousand ten thousand um I, yeah, it was probably more like fifty per episode, oh, okay. which is really, it's really, really low. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of those were early like public domain films, so it was easier for them. But it, what is it, like season three is when they had to start doing stuff from Sandy Frank and, and a lot of uh, Italian and Japanese productions. Yeah, they would, but they would get lists of movies that were owned by Paramount and um, Viacom that okay. they could use in packages. That makes but sense. But a lot of people would submit. 
a lot of people would submit their movies like uh, Rick Sloan when I have Rick Sloan on who made Hobgoblins <laughs> he submitted three of his movies for them to do and they didn't they didn't take the first two and he was surprised and he was actually kind of surprised that they took Hobgoblins the uh I think it's funny when you find out a, a producer or a star will see their movie or hear about their movie being on there and just hate their guts not realizing that 10 years later it's going to be legendary and people will know them for like Joe Don Baker Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rick, they were pretty uh, harsh too, but at the same time, he made a ton of money from that. Yeah. Um, so do you like the post mystery science theater era when they split off into cinematic Titanic and riff tracks? Sort of, but they're, they both have their weaknesses like riff tracks. Um, riff tracks has a couple of great ones. Uh, Santa Claus versus the ice cream bunny is fantastic. A lot of the shorts are good. But the rest of them, they do way too many bad dad joke attempts at mm -hmm. doing like uh, topical humor or like modern references. And it, uh, it just is painful. And then the thing I don't like about the cinematic Titanic, which they kind of managed to get out of by the live ones towards the end, was there were too many people on stage, too many people talking at the same time, and it was just way too scripted. So there was no sort of like organic interaction between the people talking right. so it just felt it just it was just missing some kind of life to it yeah when it comes to riff tracks i i prefer the live episodes because you get to see them i i miss the shadow uh what do you call it shadow vision or something like that is what they call it i can't remember what it's called. oh yeah yeah the silhouettes uh, yeah yeah I, I prefer the silhouettes i want to see them i want to see them interact with the movie which is why I, I enjoyed cinematic titanic but you're right there's too many people and um the camaraderie between them didn't it didn't feel like it was there it's like they're all just showing up to do their job and then they go away for a while whereas riff tracks they feel like those guys are seeing each other constantly they're, they're in the office they have their own inside jokes oh yeah and it really does miss something from not having the sketches yeah because God. those those add to the atmosphere and the character and and enhance the jokes and it's you wouldn't think it would make that big of a difference but w without those you really are missing a lot of the show I knew someone who would record the episodes but cut out the sketches, and I'm like, "Are you insane? I will. Keep, I, I, I yeah. literally have CDs filled with just the sketches from movies that I find boring." Yeah, I know a lot of people that did not like the sketches, which was really weird to me because yeah. it's it's sort of integral to the whole thing. Right, that's how you get to know the characters, and that's why you care more when they're joking around. That's um, that's a really odd choice. Uh, Tom or Servo, or Tom or uh, Crow, which do you prefer? Uh it's difficult because they both been inhabited by multiple people um but i'd have to go with crow yeah i prefer um the trace blue uh blue of crow that's oh, yeah. probably my favorite absolutely. version absolutely there's a demented innocence in all of it and I, I don't have any problem with um bill crap uh whatever his name, i can't remember his last name all of a sudden corbett but bill corbett. corbett yeah but his is more sardonic and it's just not as joyful i guess as as well he's angry he's yeah. like constantly yelling and but i mean that's also the dynamic between uh joel and the bots versus mike and the bots where joel was much more paternal right and so they had more of like a childlike kind of thing going on and with mike they're more like his college buddies like roommates so it was uh you know like crow's more like a party animal in that in that era yeah, it's in, in Joel was more laid back and chill, whereas Mike was kind of high strung. But they had to be different because if you if Mike was to copy Joel, that would have been a huge mistake halfway through the show. Yeah, I mean, you definitely needed a different. I mean, the thing that they 
did well was that everyone who replaced somebody in a role had still generally been with the show since day one. So they got the vibe and the feel and the camaraderie of the show, but also could bring like a different, um, you know, their character kind yeah. of to the show. So that, that I think that was unique. Did you uh, go see the movie in theaters? I did. I did. I started at the Kendall Square Cinema on an opening day. I feel like you've seen every movie in the theater. I will bring up something. I did. No, I I saw it. It played on two screens in the entire country, and I went and saw it. You're like, how? Yeah, from 1982 to about 2002, I went to the movies at least once a week. I went every Wednesday, and then I would usually go multiple days as well. Do you go anymore? No, I go like maybe once a year. Yeah, maybe. I went to Avengers and I was good. I don't. I may. Maybe I'll go see Aquaman. I'm not sure, but I just feel like I can just wait till I get home because I know some idiot's gonna yeah. be on their phone the entire time talking to their friends. Oh yeah, and I can buy it for the cost of two tickets, you know, and watch it on my 4K TV. Yeah. And not yeah, not have to deal with anyone. Yeah, 90 days later. Back in the day, we had to wait a minimum of six months, sometimes a year for a movie. I think a couple we had to wait years for. Like Gremlins, I think took three years. Oh yeah, ET was ten. Oh my god, so long. I went to yeah, I went to see Mystery Science Theater three thousand um, right at the end of its run, and we got there about five minutes late, and the guy was like, "Well, we're not going to show it." And I was like, "Why? There's no one in the theater." I'm like, "You're kidding me." And he goes, "No, you're just got to wait that's for the weird. next. Sh- oh, you're gonna wait for the next showing." And I was like, "Yeah, but that's the night showing. That's like three bucks more." And he's like. Ah, sorry, we're not going to run it again. I was like, God damn it. So all my friends are looking at me and they're like, hey, let's just go hang out tomorrow. And I was like, son of a bitch, I drove all the way from I, – I drove 45 miles to get to this theater. Jeez. And I was like, we're not going to the mall. I lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I go, I will pay for all of you to see this movie with me. I'll pay the extra. I don't <laughs> care. I'm watching this movie. I paid like 25 bucks back in 1996 yeah. to see this. And one of my friends – bitched the entire time and i want to go you get the fuck out right now and just go of sit course, outside and sit in the course. car but he just like it's that's nowhere funny ne- he said it was nowhere nearly as good as the show and and it was way too short he's right about the shortness so that is a short ass movie i will say that movie is probably the weakest episode of all 209 episodes of the show whatever there is um but it's odd that they wouldn't air it because they're they're contractually obligated to air the movie even if nobody uh, is in the theater Tell you the truth, when I worked at a movie theater, we'd make up stuff all the time. If it was 8 o'clock on a Thursday and we had to change out the next reel for, you know, prepare for Friday, we would say, right. oh, oh the, the film broke, we can't play it. And people were like, what the? <laughs> Just so we can prepare oh, so we're not wow. up till 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew it. Yeah, I, I still remember... Um, just like thinking, I was like, didn't we just sit down and the movie's over already? And, and then you find out later that there's a huge chunk of the film that was cut out or they had to reshoot it again with more mainstream jokes. I want to see the original yeah, well, version. They, they cut down uh, the, the this Island Earth movie also considerably. So there, it's missing, I think, almost, almost two reels of that movie. That's crazy. And that came out at the same time as Brain Candy. And I remember both thinking, yep. these are going to be huge. And they just fizzled within like a couple weeks. Well, Brain Candy was uh, they wouldn't cut out Cancer Boy, which the net the network the studio basically then just torpedoed the movie. Really, they, they that is like a, a one minute. Opening. It's a one minute bit. <laughs> yeah, that was Bruce McCullough though. He was like, "No way! Like we're not going to do it." And now he admits that that was that, that was a dumb idea. because oh, I, I would but, love uh, to see that, more kids in the Hall movies. I would have. Yeah. Just, that's what tanked the movie. And the Mystery Science, I think they I think they overestimated the 
two things. I think they overestimated the audience size of that show at the time because um, it was still midway through. It was between seasons six and seven, I think. Um, and they also sort of mis, uh, misunderstood how people watch the movie, uh, watch that show. And it's a show that people watched alone, <laughs> which I think is kind of why they enjoyed it, because it was it was like having friends. Yeah, well, it's also you know there's a mean? lot of inside like, jokes that you get. You don't have to explain to someone else. Yeah. And so that didn't quite translate to a to a theater experience, you know, plus they got a ton of backlash for doing this island earth. A ton. Yeah, it's weird. It's just that's what they do on riff tracks now all the time, though, is really common, popular movies. And I think now I think people are more comfortable with making fun of movies that um, are well liked. There's something you can poke fun at without completely destroying it. But you're right. This Island Earth is one of those movies where I think dads were going around to their kids going, I paid good money for this movie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the other thing was, and that was sort of the change between Joel and Mike, was that when Joel would do it, the there was a sort of a a little bit more of a reverence for the movies. It was sort of a little bit more not respectful because that that's not the right word, but um, it wasn't as like uh, miserable hate filled about the movies and, and Mike's era could be sometimes. Yeah. They were more snark, I would think, which if you look at the way we are now, you almost can blame mystery science theater for our behavior sometimes. Yeah. That's definitely a a factor. I, I think it was probably also just was, um, was uh, birthed in the same crucible of <laughs> of hatred that the rest of the uh, rest of us were at that time. No, there, there's kind of like that trend though, because Joe Bob Briggs was doing it, Elvira was doing, just kind of taking movies and poking fun at them, but not really hating them. And that's where people, I think, misunderstand Mystery Science Theater. Is it really doesn't come from a place of hate, except for Manos, no. the hands of fate. I think everybody hates that movie. <laughs> Well, and the big difference between like Joe Bob and Elvira was, I mean, Elvira would cut in in the movies, but it would be the sort of short, short little bursts, um, you know, within the within the film, and then the rest would be wraparound stuff, which is the same thing that Zachary and Goulardi did, and then Joe Bob would uh, on the original show would just do an intro and an outro, and then on the TBS show would, you know, he'd, he'd talk about it between commercials, but he wasn't uh, making comment during the film. So that's where Mystery Science was was pretty unique. Yeah. But I love those homegrown kind of shows that were nurtured and ended up on a network, which you don't really see anymore now. I mean, thank God Joe, Bob, Joe Bob's back, but it is on Shudder, a very specific, focused uh, streaming site. Oh, yeah. There was, a, there was a weird little blip in the 90s of shows that either started on cable access or local television that went national. That's when Comedy Central picked up Almost Live, which was a Seattle sketch right, comedy right, show for right. years. Uh, and a huge and Joel McHale started on that show, but no one knew it outside of Seattle. Um, and they started airing that. You had um, Squirt TV, which was Jake Fogel Nest, um, who was doing it on New York Cable Access. MTV picked that up. Uh, Tom Green was the cable access show in Canada right. that MTV picked up. So you were getting a little bit of that um, at the time, but but yeah, not at all now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of relegated to YouTube. Um... Do you like the Sci-Fi Channel seasons where it was more of a continuous story instead of just hop in and hop out of their world? I do. It's different, but I it, it, it's I don't people hated it, but I don't dislike it. No, I was actually fine with I, it, but I the the aired amount of order, so I was a little disoriented. Yeah, it's uh it, it's odd that you would be disappointed too because you're like, why does it matter that I'm following the serialization of this? <laughs> 
All right. So I think that's pretty much it on the, our little wrap up their history. Now let's discuss our favorite episodes of the series. Actually, it's mostly just you. I, I, I'll just wing it as I go <laughs> along. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, weirdly, although I consider myself to be more of a Joel connoisseur, um, most of my favorite episodes are Mike episodes. See, I got that too. Uh, so, I, do you, I think the problem is that I'm not a huge black and white movie fan, and I feel like a lot of those drag ass. And the color ones, they're, I think, just more like I know who that actor is. I remember this period of time. For me, yeah, the Mike era have, I think, better movies. Yeah, I mean, I think it is more accessible movies for a lot of us. Like Alien from L.A. is, is certainly one um, that I kind of just like because I like that movie. Yeah. But, uh, but there are a lot of um, uh, black and white movies in the Mike era that I like, like Prince of Space. Um, is a great one. Um, and then things like, uh, I'm trying to think of what, if there's any other black and white ones during the Mike era, that might be the only one. There, there's only a handful. Cause I think sci-fi channel was a little allergic to black and white, but the nice part is when sci-fi channel, uh, had them is when they had access to the universal studios catalog. And there's a lot of juicy stuff there, especially the, the, the creepy seventies, um, TV movies. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, the fir- I think the first sci-fi channel movie was revenge of the creature. Uh, yeah, it was. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it started off with that, and then I think it was. Uh, yeah, I feel like the first few episodes were really old uh, black and white Universal movies, and then they started stretching out into other things, and not just Universal, like a lot of independent productions. Like you said, they would send them movies. Well, you also had like the Brute Man, which I think was um, uh, what's that other studio? Not RKO. Uh, I can't remember the name, but they were like kind of the third tier. Yeah, that's uh, one with Rondo, right? Rondo Hatton. Yeah, with Rondo Hatton, um, and there were a few things like that. Um, but uh, the the first one that comes to mind is got to be Puma Man. Oh, <laughs> love. Okay, so I thought this was an Italian movie for the longest time. This is Spanish, right? Mexican. It's baby? a Spanish American co-production, and it actually is a pilot for a TV series. No. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that actually makes a lot more sense. A lot of these look like they're pilots for TV shows that failed. And a lot of them were. A lot okay. of them were. Like Codename Diamond Head was. Um, uh, obviously, Master Ninja 1 and 2 was a, was a TV series that they edited into movies, which are also on my list. I love those. God, I were. love those Master Ninjas. Do you know that I love Master Ninja so much, even though I know it's a terrible show? There was this video store not too far from me where they had, you know, you always had the, the normal video store with the most common stuff. But there's that one with like deep, deep vault of random titles that nobody should be carrying anymore. They had the entire Master Ninja catalog, and I had to get all of them. Well, they just released The Master, which is the show that it is, uh, on Blu-ray. Right? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but it looks great. Does and it? The, oh, you the, have it? Like the, oh, yeah. Um, the list of guests. I actually bought it twice because my dog ate my first copy. Oh, wow. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the list of guest stars on that show was pretty amazing. The Who's uh, Crystal Bernard? Was in one of the episodes, yep, right? Yep, yeah. Bernard's in it. Demi Moore is in it. There um, is – this is random, but we're talking about TV pilots. She did a pilot for a TV show, I want to say 89 or 90, right before she got wings, where she was helping a guy who was like a superhero kind of thing. He wore a black costume. I only saw it once. I thought it was really awesome, and I cannot figure out what in the hell it's called. <laughs> is it The Spirit? Nah, that was much earlier. That was a Sam Jones. That was like four years earlier. I'll look it up. It's, I'm sure it's on the IMDb, but it's it's a oh, hard. I'll, I'll figure it out. Random. Sorry, tangent. Go ahead. <laughs> quite all right. Quite all right. 
Um, yeah, so I, I love that one. That is that is a classic. Donald Ple- um, Pleasance also, makes it's amazing the career after Halloween for Donald Pleasance you think would have been a lot better, but basically it's only John Carpenter movies and just tons of crappy Italian Spanish productions. Well, he'd be in anything, and and he was you know I mean for him Halloween was slumming also like it it, it just so happened that he kind of lucked out that that was a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> but um, he he never said no to anything because they tried they wanted Christopher Lee for that. <laughs> originally and he turned it down huh. he was like oh, i'm not doing that i was gonna say he, it didn't seem like he didn't turn down a lot of stuff either no he was in howling too <laughs> but uh yeah i mean he even turned that down so you know christopher i mean uh donald pleasance was was certainly not picky yeah um what is next on the list uh next on the list is another mike one from the final season is uh soul taker oh god that's so good joe estevez I just yeah. Um, and the girl, she did another one. Um, the girl who wrote uh, wrote and stars in it. Nah, yeah. There's, there's another movie she did with Bill Pax. I was like, like Future Vision or Future Force. It's an anthology film, and she only oh, did. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She only did those two movies, and they're both terrible except for the Bill Paxton segment. She had a fascinating talent for making very compelling, very strange, awful movies. And super eighties, which guy, is just. Oh, his lips are so greasy, man. And he's been in a lot of movies. That blonde guy, I've seen him in a lot oh, of yeah. like direct-to-video action movies around that time. Absolutely. And what's the guy in the big face? Zadar. Oh, Robert Zadar. Yeah. yeah. Maniac Cop. Uh, <laughs> he is no longer with us. Sadly. His name was uh, Robert Zadarsky. Is his real name? Oh wow! I just drop off the last. And you know what? There's another movie that he was in. Actually, he's probably in a lot of movies that could have been on Mystery Science Theater. But Return to Frogtown is bananas. It's so insanely yes. awful. And but it's so much fun that it, there's some movies. I say the worst thing you can do with movie is be boring. Yeah, and I, I mean I think that's one of the maybe my least favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater ever is Hamlet oh, because it's yeah. really really boring and. It's it's almost unwatchable for me, but like for the most part, all the movies on Mystery Science, the great thing about them was that the people who made them were being very sincere and really thought they were making a good movie. So I think that is, you know, that goes a long way for something being entertaining. Right. They rarely ever did anything that was comedic in any way. Like they did um, Hobgoblin. Catalina Caper. Catalina Caper is one of my favorites. I don't know why I love it so much. I've, I've never even seen a beach movie outside of Back to the Beach. Um, and Catalina Caper. <laughs> that is a good one, though. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. And I don't know why I'm fascinated by – maybe it's because I love Catalina. I don't know. Well, you also get uh, Little Richards in that one. Like that's, a, that's just a fun movie. Well, a lot of these movies have musical performances, and those are usually the best part of the film. Yeah, most of the teenage delinquent ones do. <laughs> Girls Town. I've seen – I, I yep. had a cassette tape. When I worked in uh, television, they gave us all these blank tapes for, uh, you know, so we record what we had ran. I worked for PBS, and we would use that as our homework assignment. We'd show our, you know, commercial sign-offs and sign-ons, and everything would be on tape. And they were extra long. They were eight-hour tapes. And uh, oh, wow. I, I rarely ever used them for homework. I taped them. I used them for Mystery Science Theater episodes. <laughs> That's the best thing to use them for. Get Mamie Van Doren on tape. Yeah, I had Girls Town, uh, the one with the, the, the head, the head that wouldn't die. Oh, the brain that wouldn't die. The brain that wouldn't die. Um, I can't remember the rest. But, yeah, there's like uh, ten of them that I would just watch nonstop. And uh, I, I hold those near and dear to my heart, even though I know they're not great episodes. 
Yeah, but they're well worth watching. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's it's uh, there are very few that are not at least watchable. Yeah, there's some that were stinkers, but I've seen Attack of the Giant Leech just so many damn times. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's a great one. Or like the Killer Shrews is a great one. Um, you know, Track of the Moon Beast. There's some like mid-level ones that are still very very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, what's the next on the list? Uh, so what do I do? I got um, Soul Taker. I got. Uh, uh, what was my first one there? Oh, my blanking. Oh, uh, Puma uh, Man. Uh, Puma Man. Puma. Uh, number three, another Mike. Another Mike one. Werewolf. Oh God, that's so damn good. Is that another Spanish one, or is that a, a Mexican production? I... That's American, but it also has Joe Estevez. <laughs> that's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Like completely phonetic learning. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have picked her as your lead. Oh yeah, well she looked very good. She was a, she was a German model. What's the guy's name? He was in a bunch of stuff in the seventies and eighties, like decent oh, yes. size productions. Uh, um, yeah, he that's um, George. Oh my God, Vero or something like that. Yeah. Oh, see, I was thinking of um, what's his name that was in Puppet Master Two, um, and was the villain in a bunch of things, and he's burned. God, I don't know. Oh, man. But I was thinking, uh, Jorge Rivera, I think is his name, and he was in a bunch of, like, John Wayne movies in the 70s and stuff like that, and he would work his way up, but clearly by the 90s, he was done. And it's fascinating watching his hair change every scene. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Richard Lynch, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, Richard yeah, Richard Lynch. Lynch. Right, right. Think, how did I remember that? Yeah, the guy, he, well, how did he burn himself? Um, I think it was in, like, Korea or something like that. Oh, see, he was I, I, one of those actors that had had like some kind of some kind of issue. Oh, gotcha. See, for some reason, I confused it with that movie that he was in um, uh, with Jennifer Rubin, the one where he he's like a cult oh, yeah. leader and he burns he's up. The cult leader. Yes. Um, Boy, I, my, my memory sucked today. <laughs> I know. I know. Bad dreams. I can't bad dreams. Today. I know the exact bad dreams. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. I thought for some reason that was real, and that he had really burned himself. And he was a cult leader for some reason. I saw it so young that I didn't remember if it actually happened or was fictional. <laughs> right, right. No, he. It happened in the seventies, I think. There's like three actors that had some sort of weird burn incident, but still went on acting. The other one is the guy who starred in um, It's Alive, and he plays the high school principal in Three O'clock High. His name. Oh, John remember. P. Ryan. Yes. Okay. I didn't know that. And I know Jack um, Palance, he was in a horrible plane accident where his face got shattered. Jack Palance. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Kane Hodder, obviously, although he's not really an actor. And um, and uh, Reggie Nadler. Who's who that? is Barlow in Salem's Lot. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. The original Salem's Lot, right? Because Rudger Howard's in Yes. The... Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Werewolf's a great one. I love um werewolf movies period and there's so many bad ones it, it's hard to pick one that's really great i would say one out of every 10 is like legitimately good um like the howling is phenomenal but howling 2 is god awful and then it's just kind of weird after that but super entertaining yes they're so fascinatingly like the strange choices they make but werewolf is more like that final Howling movie where they had $115,000 to do and they shoot in some small town and it's a guy in a costume. It's really just... Oh, yeah. The, lo the Lost movie. That that movie was... That movie only ever aired on Monster Vision. It would have been completely lost otherwise. It was never released. Oh, New Moon Rising? No, I, like I rented New Moon Rising at our drugstore and uh, New Line Cinema actually released it, but I think you're right. I think there was an issue because... Turner had a deal with New Line Cinema to distribute, 
but they hadn't properly acquired the rights or something like that. And then Clive Turner, the guy who owned the Halloween or whatever, took it back. I don't know. It's it, yeah. Don't go find it though. Seriously, unless you're a completionist. This is, oh, this is right. Or if you really like country line dancing. <laughs> yeah. So that one and Werewolf are like the pits. Just the Adam scra- scraping the bottom of the barrel. I had an idea once for a werewolf story that was um, the premise of it was there were were humans. So there were like animals that would turn into humans as a monster. So it would just be like this naked screaming human. That's really a rabbit or something. <laughs> that's crazy. And, He's got uh, no hair. Yeah. Why is yeah. the were uh, genre only really goes with wolves? We've seen Lady Hawk, which is kind of a, a werewolf concept, but you never see like were bears or were ducks or were gators. Nothing. You do, you do sort of in um, in mythology, but but it's because the the werewolf, the Wolfman, the Universal movie, is what invented all of that lore. That that's all an invention of the screenwriter. Like almost none of that. It's not based on a book. And none of that comes from anything other than than the screenwriter of the Wolfman's brain. Uh, so a lot of it is just that's that's the first one. So Universal has the rights over a lot of the things in that lore. So it wow. So it must be kind of hard to make a werewolf movie because a lot of these are public domain. Vampires are public domain. Werewolves technically are a public domain, but the rules are not. Universal owns them. Right. Oh, I right. never even thought about that before. They invented the silver bullet thing. They invented the, you know, the whole you get bit and then you turn. And that's all that's all a, a creation of that movie. You know, it's funny is all the classic monsters, in a way, are public domain. So anybody can make a mummy movie, a Frankenstein movie, zombie movie. But, you know, nothing in the last 50 years. Like, nobody can go out there and just make a Freddy or Jason movie, but they can make a similar style movie. Yeah, well, I mean, those... Those characters are not um, archetypical monsters either. Like they're not, you know, what is a Freddy? Right. <laughs> like Dracula is a vampire. You know, Frankenstein is a, a a monster, an undead monster or a zombie or you know, however you want to put it. But like, yeah, a Freddy is. Jeez, I don't even know what that would be. <laughs> Just a, a pedophile murderer who burned himself or who got burned. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of that. <laughs> Is that a good segue? Did we find the next one? No, no, that oh. was uh, that was what we were just talking about with these actors who had suffered. Bullets. Oh, right, right, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, what's the next on the list? Uh, Time Walker. Oh wow, that is one that's kind of forgotten. I remember that was one of the very first ones I saw. Uh, Cave Dwellers was the first, and uh, Time Walker. That's the one with like the mummy, right? Yes, Kind-walker. and it has uh, one of my favorite lines in it: uh, "Get Ken Melrose, he'll touch anything." <laughs> and uh has ben murphy who was in another episode of mystery science theater like the invisible man or something gemini man yes yes uh it or that they made as um that was a tv series but they edited them into two movies as well but what was the movie called uh ride with danger oh yeah you're right a ride with death or something like that yeah Ride um, with Death, yes. Directed by uh, Alan, um, oh man, I forgot his name, um, but he's married to Sandra Curry and directed a ton of Magnum P.I. and Columbo. Gotcha. That name sounds familiar. Like I feel, I feel like he did um, Space Rage with Michael Pere, like some really god awful. But he um, may have. Universal was known for packaging up their TV shows, like their short-lived TV shows, and selling them overseas as movies. I think Battlestar Galactica probably being the most notorious. 
Yeah, uh, same with Salem's Lot. The, I mean, it, it made sense. It's a good business model. Yeah. I mean, if you can't sell them as a series, put it in the theaters. They did that with Airwolf. They did it with Buck Rogers, uh, like Gemini Man and stuff like that. They, they package these up. Or sometimes they just put them on VHS. I remember Amazing Stories. The only way I could ever see it was those tapes. Those 90-minute movies of the three episodes, usually. Yeah. Um, I literally just forgot. I have such a short attention span. Oh, yeah, Time Walker. I'm writing these down. I, I, this is what I do to Ken almost every single time he comes on the show. I make him do lists. I, I always give him homework. <laughs> I'm like a dick. <laughs> do homework for me, Ken. I don't do, mind. Do the work That's for me. Brain... <laughs> That's how my brain works, so it's fine. I love that a, the 80s era movies are my favorite of the Mystery Science Theater. Um, I really like City Limits, Time Walker, um, Warrior of the Lost World. A lot of those are just so much fun. They're much faster paced, too. Yeah, absolutely. They have a different vibe for sure. Pod people. <laughs> pod people's on my list. All right, let's uh, say pod, pod people. people. Pod people's great. It's it, that's kind of a quintessential mystery science movie. It's just so weird that the it stinks is a perfect example of uh, of why the sketches are so great and integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you, pod people's a classic. It's what is the company that would patch those movies together you remember how they would always have some sort of weird sequence in the beginning that was in slow-mo and it was weird like not pixelated but it was like a weird fragmented way of doing it it was slow-mo and yeah and, well the and, reason that they would okay. they would do that is so they could recopyright the movie under their own banner oh so it was a way to edit to add something new and now it was a new version of the movie and they could copyright it under their own company which was kind of sketchy uh, yeah, it was a little bit legally dubious, but I think uh, ended up working. Okay, so that's why Cave Dwellers is only known that under that name for Mystery Science Theater, but on video it's like the Invincible Eagle or the Iron Warrior or something like that. What is Pot People known outside of Mystery Exactly. Science? I don't even know. I think it might be something like Trumpy or something about the <laughs> the little eh, the little creature. It, it's definitely not Pod People. I still remember three years ago when we thought it was hilarious, back when we thought it was fucking hilarious that Trump was running like he would never make yeah. it. I have said I'd rather vote for yeah. Trumpy from Pod People than Donald Trump. And God damn it, I still wish he was president. I fucking at least he would tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh jeez. I threw my it pen down. Stay. I can see the bar shoot straight up on the sound. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get me right. Okay, we got to bring it back to a nice place. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I heard that um, John Picure Simon or whatever his name was, a Spanish director who did Pieces. He had this movie ready to go. And it was going to be a straight horror film. And then all of a sudden, at the last minute, the investor said, hey, we'll actually give you some more money if you add a little E.T.-style creature in it. And he's like, eh, fuck it, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy's not going to turn down more money for any reason. A lot of the Italian productions and Spanish productions feel like that. Like it started off as one thing, and then the investor's like, okay, so if you cast this person this person who are internationally known, and then add this element to it, and you have what was it started off like as a Mad Max kind of movie, all of a sudden turns into Knight Rider, and you're talking to the motorcycle, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, yeah. They would just throw anything in that they possibly could, which is kind of that classic era of Euro exploitation. They did not care. I, I, I know they're terrible movies, but I absolutely I, I love them. They're so bizarre and over the top and um, thoroughly entertaining. And I tried, tried so hard to get some of them on video night. And no, Andrew will not go anywhere near them. (laughs) He doesn't like Italian movies? Yeah, he does. He thinks they're all just garbage. And um, I'm like, fine, I'll go do that on some other show. (laughs) 
<laughs> just start a show of just Italian movies. Well, no, we do we do trash cinema during the summers where we just grab a hodgepodge. Like one, well, what are do you we'll... saying that, that Italians are trash? Is that what you just said? <laughs> well, I mean, Argento's great. <laughs> well, <laughs> Goblin. Hold on, let me correct myself. Goblin's great. I will listen to that score. I yeah. watch those movies solely for the music. Yeah, uh, that's fair. The um. You're right, though. By the way, Night Rider, slow down. The theme sounds just like a Goblin song. Oh yeah, it's it's exactly a Goblin song, and that's kind of fantastic. All right, what is our next film? Uh, I'll keep it with the people. I'm gonna go with Slime People, season one, I believe, is Slime People. It's an it's an early one. God, I don't even remember and that one. What, is that a is that a it, Full Moon? Not Seed People. No, right? it, no, not Seed People. Slime People is a 1950s movie that was made by people who worked at KTLA in Los Angeles on sort of nights and weekends, and. One of the reasons this is one of my favorite episodes is I actually really love the movie Slime People, and I wish that somebody would remake that movie. And it's the perfect movie for David Cronenberg's kind of quote about why you remake a movie, which is you don't remake a good movie, you, you remake a bad movie that's a good idea but poorly executed. Totally. I still don't understand why they remake the classics. Like, I know it's sellable, yeah. but there's a lot of movies out there with really, like, even movies that did okay. Like, The Golden Child has a great concept. But it stops dead in his tracks every time Eddie Murphy decides he needs to laugh his ass off and screw around. And you're just like, God, there's such a good movie that remake Golden Child. Seriously. Yeah. And Slime People is a perfect thing like that. It, it kind of it's, – it's pre-Night of the Living Dead, but it has, it has a weird sort of last man on earth, Night of the Living Dead vibe. Um, in that these sort of subterranean people who are a lot like the, uh, I forget the name of the, the race from Doctor Who, but the lizard people that were here first that live inside the earth, um, it's ba basically them. And what they've done is put up a sort of fog dome barrier around Los Angeles and they're sort of killing people. And there are people who are trapped in this thing and they, they are hiding in the KTLA studios from the slime people. That actually sounds really good. When was this made? Uh, I want to say like late 50s, early 60s, like maybe 62, 63. I'm shocked um, they had a budget for a movie back then. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, they they barely did, but they were they were making it on nights and weekends at uh, at uh, KTLA. So it's kind of like a precursor to The Fog or The Mist or something like that. Similar, yeah. And Under the Dome actually yeah. sort of mixed with uh, Omega Men, like these creatures come out at night and so they, you know, they have to sort of forage during the day and then like, be like lock themselves up at night so that they are safe. And it, it's a cool kind of creepy movie. And uh, it's, it's, I think the only one on this list that I don't really remember all that much about the riffing, but the movie I actually really love. The uh, I'm always surprised they haven't done Last Man on Earth since it's public domain. But at the same time, you have to argue. I think that's a great movie. A lot of people shit on it, and you know, Vincent Price is so miscast. I'm like, that movie creeps me out. It, it's better than Omega Man. Oh, it's very well done. Yeah, and what's yeah, the other one? It, what's the I Am Legend? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I yeah. prefer the Vincent and, Price. And it was a huge influence on Night of the Living Dead, which is obvious, and is also an Italian uh, mismatch movie. <laughs> um, what's next? Next up on the list, I have uh, – where am I here? What else did I do? Oh, Hobgoblins, which is just – it's Hobgoblins. I know. I it's love, like everyone. I love the Gremlins ripoffs. Now, I know Critters is not a ripoff. Everybody says it is, um, and it's a completely different beast, but like uh, Munchies, Hobgoblins, or the Troll. Yeah, Hobgoblins to me is like – 
so inept it doesn't even bubble to the level of being uh, Gremlins ripoff. Yeah, it's just uh, I. I... There, it's weird when you see like just the puppets, just like this stiff puppet. The worst puppet I've ever seen though is a movie called he- um, Elves with Dan Haggerty. Oh yeah, where the the mouth with doesn't... the Nazi. Yeah. Oh god, the Nazi is... elves. Yeah. That is that is a movie it's ripe bad. for MST 3K riffing, except for the weird Nazi incest twist in the story, which is completely messed yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I don't want to brag here, but I've been to Rick Sloan's house and I've seen. The actual Hobgoblin. How did is this? Did you do an episode with him? I did, yeah. And uh, I got to see where the, he filmed a lot of that in his house. He filmed a lot of Vice Academy movies in his house. Um, and he has the Hobgoblin puppets. They're just hanging out in his garage. He did Vice Academy? Oh, yeah. The whole did. series? Yep, the oh whole series. Oh, my God. That's like, that was like 50% of what showed on Up All Night. <laughs> it certainly was. God, is that trauma films? <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so I've I've seen the actual hobgoblins with my own eyes. You know, like we were talking earlier, like those shows during that era, um, they're so precious to our generation. You know, for people who are seeking out strange cinema, bad cinema, for just in, in the fun riffing from the host. But the thing is, is that the only show of all of these really that have a catalog that you can view today intact is Mystery Science Theater. I think there's some Elvira's that are available, not all of them. But there's no Up All Nights, there's no Joe Bob Briggs, just the host segments. And I want to see the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of bootlegs of a lot of the Joe Bob Briggs that you can find. Um, Up All Nights are a little bit harder. Shout Factory actually released, I think, like 20 episodes of the original Elvira series. But yeah, they are they are hard to find. I mean, they were they were disposable fodder to air around a movie. God, that was that was okay. So all my friends in high school. Um, we were the kind of guys that, you know, we didn't go out to parties. We didn't go drinking. Um, I'm pretty sure it's because we were mostly unpopular. That's not the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but our idea was oh, chicken and the egg, my friend, chicken <laughs> and the egg. We were, our idea of fun was watching USA up all night or mystery science theater, you know, getting together, grabbing the cookie dough, which I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we all have tapeworms, you know, and staying up till four o'clock in the morning, watching crappy movies. Yeah, I mean, that that's sort of the Bonnie experience, and I think that's what the show taps into, is that experience, which you can get on the show, even if you don't have any friends with you. I, just, it, I wonder if new generations even have that. Like, it's on Netflix now, but I wonder if the generation now that's watching it is completely ambivalent to the whole concept. Like, now it's just, you know, our generation and maybe our kids, you know, uh, that are watching it. But, you know, 20-year-olds? Yeah, no, I mean... No. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, I guess maybe the closest thing is that they like live tweet. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the, I don't know what that would be. I see that Facebook um, hosting parties where they watch a movie together. It's just not the same. It's weird. Yeah, it definitely is very strange. All right. What is After Hobgoblins? After Hobgoblins is Master Ninja 1 and 2, which are two episodes, (laughs) but I'm, you know, they're one episode. God, I love those. They're, um, during that ninja craze of the 80s, I was shocked to discover this was not produced by Canon Pictures since it had Sho Kusagi and uh, Lee Van yep. Cleef, which were in their little repertoire of actors. Um, I feel like, though, the guy which, who made it, didn't he do something? The guy who created Master Ninja did something big, I thought, right after this. I can't remember. He may have. I think it was, I think it was an NBC show, and NBC was just trying to throw anything at the wall and hope that it sticked. 
Isn't that the best um, era of NBC when they were just like at the bottom of the barrel? They're like, um, you know, three years later, that's what Fox would become. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They get nothing to lose. It's misfits of science. It's, uh, you know, there's the things. I just sent you uh, Rick Sloan's rejection letter uh, from Mystery Science Theater 3000, um, which I took a picture of there. Speaking <laughs> um, of Rick Sloan, Michael Sloan created Master Ninja. Oh, did he do Equalizer? That's bananas. Like, he would maybe, go from a show that yeah. is ridiculous to one that's much loved. Well, yeah. Yeah, much loved. Um, so I just sent you a, a photo I took of, of his rejection letter for a mo- the first movie he submitted to Mystery Science Theater. Okay. And it's on the it's on the Best Brains, Inc. letterhead. And it's, it's <laughs> so, you know, we, we won't be doing this movie. And then I sent you another photo of, uh, of a photo I took of the, of the Hobgoblins. Nice. They still hold together. Um, they like all true. falling apart. Oh, he also did. Well, he uh, did. He did a lot of TV movies. He did BJ and the Bear. He did Sheriff Lobo. Oh, wow. he, Sheriff Lobo and the Master. Oddly enough, seem very similar. What is it with these shows with like higher concepts, but they always seem to have the same breakdown? Wander around the country in some random cool vehicle, and they always seem to end up in some honky tonk where they end up having a bar fight, and then the sheriffs are dirty, and they put them. You know, it's always the same yeah. plot. It's cheap. It's cheap and easy to do. Oh, and it always seemed like it had the same actors, too. Just like, you miss... I kind of miss that thing in television where it had a rotating cast of villains. Like, Charles Napier was on all of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it was it was names that dads would recognize. And then they'd have younger people for the kids to watch. Yeah, and then always filming on back roads of California lots. You know, it's like, even V, a high-concept show, very expensive. And they're still shooting on the same exact lots. <laughs> Oh, yeah, all the old Western sets. Yeah. Yeah, Master Ninja is a really fun one. I always wonder what happened to Timothy Van Patten because he was so insanely good in Class of 1984, and then he ends up on this, and that pretty much just derailed his career. I think he was a professional tennis player. Is he? I knew one of the Van Pattens was. All those kids, they did, like, these cult movie and TV shows. Like, you know, one One of them was a... Helmet, one of them right? was a professional tennis player. One of them went on to direct, and one of them does a lot of um, special effects makeup stuff. Okay, well, that's cool. These are still in the business. But I remember it just like they seem like um, regulars, like the Carradines in the 80s. Like if it was a directed video or a very low-budget movie that was on TV, you'd always see one of them. Well, it's, again, it's a recognizable name. You know, people would see would see Carradine, and even if it wasn't John or David, they were like, oh, yeah, no, I've heard of that. Yeah, and Sho Kusagi just uh, – red hot for like one minute and then basically michael dudikoff took all the heat off of him when he started doing american ninja but for a while there shokasagi was who you went for legit martial arts and we know where michael dudikoff is now <laughs> well, we know where shokasagi i know his kid does martial arts movies now but true true and who knows? Uh, yeah but he would always show he was like one of those like show up for 10 minutes and mostly was stuntmen doing all the action don't tell me league of van cleef did any of that <laughs> No, but that's why a ninja is perfect because they're wearing a mask, yeah. you know, so you don't really even have to be that careful about how you shoot it when yeah. you have the stunt guy. Yeah, Master Ninja is a really fun show. It is a slice of 80s cheese, and sometimes those are my favorites. I know that uh, Misfits of Science is not a good show. I don't give a shit. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, What's number nine? Number nine, we have Santa Claus, the classic. Is that the weird Finland or no 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 Mexican that's the Mexican one right that's Jack Frost I'm thinking of um, yeah, yeah Jack Frost is very strange the Santa Claus is the Mexican uh, movie that Fred I think his name was Fred Murray uh, or or 
uh, G. F. Murray was this American guy that imported a lot of weird Mexican, uh, Spanish and Mexican things and re revoiced them as U.S. things. And Santa Claus is just unbelievably crazy. It's, it is. It's Santa Claus. Funny. Is I had I saw it before I ever saw Mystery Science Theater because at the video store New World Pictures repackaged uh, it and tried to sell it as a ripoff to Santa Claus the movie and I rented yeah. it. I didn't I did not rent Santa Claus the movie, which I'm going to argue is not a very good movie either. <laughs> no, I would say that the Mexican Santa Claus is more entertaining at least. Yeah, God, I know. Uh, and you, you know you get Santa Claus fighting the devil. Yeah, it's so great. That's such a bizarre thing to do. And I, the funny thing is Satan is not the creepiest thing in that movie. It is that reindeer laughing. That is fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the kid who wakes up and her parents are in weird boxes like dolls. Uh, yeah, there's some weird stuff in that movie. It's it's almost like a Coffin Joe movie. What's Coffin Joe? Oh, Coffin Joe was this guy in Brazil who made a series of horror movies that he wrote, directed, and starred in. I think there's five of them. Um, and I think one's called, like, This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse. Oh, that's a great title. T -t Tonight I'll Take Your Soul. Um, look up Coffin Joe. There's, they're all sort of 60s, 70s. Uh, he did this amazing – it was a black and white movie, but there's a color sequence in Hell – and uh, his version of hell is like a frozen cold hell huh. and it's bizarre and psychedelic and weird. And he, um, he sort of wore a top hat and has like very long fingernails. It's, it's a really unique, strange character. So it's, it's Brazil was ca uh, cashing in on like the horror craze that, you know, like Paul Nash, he was huge in the seventies with the Mexican horror and they were just kind of creating their own world of horror there. Yeah. He's, he's almost like the Brazilian Paul Nashy. Okay, so Coffin Joe was an actor, or was he a host, or was the director? I'm not sure. Yes. <laughs> All of them. Okay, all right. So it's one yeah. of your do-it-yourself yes. kind of things. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a very unique – I think he made five movies, and it's a very unique, strange cycle of movies that I'm surprised he's not a bigger cult figure. There's so many of those movies that are in Mystery Science Theater, and it's usually ripe for mocking is because – the director was the star and he wrote it and edited and did everything. And, but he had no separation from it where he would realize it was ridiculous. That's why Manos is so great. Time chasers and stuff like that. Oh yeah. They're passion projects. You're a soul taker. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're people sincerely trying to do a good product and they're just kind of inept. Yeah. No one's telling them, uh, hold on a second. Try that again. Yeah. That's why All they're right. doing it on their own. Final film. Final film. The human duplicators. God, I don't even remember that one. Does that one have uh, Jaws? Richard Keel. Richard Keel, yep. thank you. Yep, uh, this is a Joel one. This one is uh, fantastic. This, this, to me, this this probably is my favorite episode of Mystery Science. Uh, Richard Keel plays a, an alien named Kolos. <laughs> and uh, he comes in, he's like, I am Kolos. <laughs> I must speak to Professor Dornheimer. It's the ridiculous uh, name. Yeah. The best, the more complicated oh, the name wonderful. is, the better. Yeah, it's human duplicators is is just everything you want to see in the show. I really it also has some it. of the best uh, sketches and wraparound segments. Also, is the it done. an Italian film? Because he did a lot of those. No, it's an American movie. Um, it's very seventies. Uh, I I don't know who who what the origins of it are because it does have that um, Sandy Frank sort of video sequence at the beginning to re copyright it, but it's uh, it's a really weird movie. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a it's a Ega, the one that he did is so bizarre and so strange, and I just love it. But he made 
I mean, he was a likable person, but man, he made some terrible choices or he didn't have the option for anything else because outside of Bond, it was pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, he's a big, huge dude. You know, that's the kind of things he's going to get cast in. There's actually a bunch of really cool footage on YouTube of him appearing on various talk shows like Letterman and that kind of stuff when he was promoting, I think, Moonraker. Okay. And uh, it's really interesting just seeing him kind of, you know, being himself and, and being affable and, and, a, and a fun guy. I, I saw him once at a convention. I didn't talk to him. But it was uh, not too long before he died. Yeah, and, my uh, father met him and got a picture with him and stuff like that. And he said he was in real rough shape. But it's, it's hard for really big people because I, I guess it's a huge strain in their heart. Yeah, and they're in pain a lot of the time. And a lot of them are, are that big because they have a medical issue. You know, yeah. there's like a glandular issue or, or other other problems that they have. So, yeah. Well, we ended that on a down note. Oops. Um. <laughs> exactly. I know. Shit. Jeez. I do. I do have an honorable mention. Go ahead. Final Justice. God, it's so much the fun. Go ahead. Second, on. Joe Don Pickle. Yeah. I still I mean, say that Mitchell, to this day. You should. Mitchell gets all the credit, but Final Justice is the better Joe Don Baker flick. It's another one of those. Usually, the ones that are shot overseas are the more absurd, and um, you know, it's like this Clint Eastwood throwaway script it wasn't even good enough to be considered for even someone in between joe don baker and clint eastwood and you yeah. know shot in malta which who shoots a movie in malta it just it's it, i don't even know where that is i think it's below italy i think it's a small island there in italy but it's usually one of those hey this company has or this country has some money they can use as a tax write-off but we have to shoot it there we, and it's just like isn't that also from Rick Sloan? I feel like he did that right before. No, Lockdowns. no. I forget who made that one, but it's it's not him. God, so many like guys on the edge of you know mainstream cinema that ended up on Mystery Science Theater that it's just so much fun. I'm gonna look this up. Final Justice because I feel like that guy was really well known. Final Justice. I can't think of who it is. But what's that? I can't think of who it is. It's possible. Oh, Graydon Clark. Never mind. Who did Joyce? Oh yes, Graydon Clark. Joysticks is his his finest role. I think Joe Don Baker may have been in every Graydon Clark flick. Maybe I know he did some like you know how there's Pandemonium and uh, Wacko and stuff like that. He did one of those yes. crazy horror movies. The, oh, he the did. I can't think of what it is. It's not. Oh no, it is Wacko. He did it... do Wacko. I'm trying to think. Like, there's so okay. many of those that were like there was the uh, those three brothers that did one too. We we often yes. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's a great Clark, man. I don't know. There's not a single good movie in here. I, I know people who will argue with me that say, uh, joysticks is good. No, no, because the movie no, isn't even about video games. That's the only reason I want to watch it. Well, but the theme song that goes totally awesome video game. <laughs> you know, if I, if I wanted my video game fix, I'll watch the, uh, Marshall Blackman episode of square pegs where he's obsessed with Pac-Man. That is a good one. Yeah. All right, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Is there anything you want to pitch before we go? No, tvguidancecounselor.com, if people are unfamiliar. What's your favorite episode of Mystery Science? By God, I want to say that it's uh, Danger Diabolic, the final episode. There's something bittersweet that about it. That is a it. good one. Most of mine are in the last uh, few seasons, but uh, War of the Lost World is one of my favorites. Laser Blast is a great Laser one. Blast is great. All of season seven is great. The Blood Beast, or no, what is it? The, the Incredible Melting Man is part of that. That's great. Yep. Escape from the Bronx is great. Uh, Manos is phenomenal. Mitchell. There, there's arcs with the show where they'll have like four or five in a row that are just phenomenal. And then they'll just have some duds. What's the one with Raul Julia? Um, oh, Overdrawn they, at the Memory Bank. Yeah, oh my God, I love that one. That's painful. 
That's painful, that one. There's something about the weird shot on video made by PBS with very, very early CGI that fascinates me. Because when I was a kid and I would get in trouble, I wasn't allowed to watch TV except for PBS. So there's a lot of stuff there that I remember and just... I don't know. It is. It's. It's not a good movie, but it's kind of nostalgic. But Raw Julia gives it yeah. everything he has in such a ridiculous. Oh movie. yeah, he's all in. <laughs> I mean, well, look at Street Fighter. That's a god awful movie worthy of Mystery Science Theater, and he's just selling it. Oh yeah. I mean, he's. I can't think of anything he was bad in. What's a movie you want to see on Mystery Science Theater that hasn't been done? Oh jeez. Um, I just actually thought of one. Why? Oh, Surf Two. Oh. How about surfing? The surf Nazis must die. No, see, I feel like the trauma ones don't uh, Too lend obvious. themselves to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, surf 2 is just an underseen movie. And Linda Carriage is in it, um, who is in Alien from L.A. as well. Um, most movies made by, jeez, um, uh, what the hell's his name? Who did the cap- original Captain America, and um, he made Cyborg. Oh, Al- Albert Pion. Albert Pint. Albert yeah. Pinn, yes. Is that how you say his uh, name? Most I'm just saying Yeah. I think it's Pinn. I may be wrong. But most of the movies made by him are kind of the 80s. Yeah, Sword and the Source were Radioactive Dreams. I like Radioactive Dreams, but that is ripe for uh, Poke and Fun at, too. Yeah. Vicious Lips. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> I work with someone. Also... I work with a girl who looks just like Kathy Ireland from Alien from L.A., and oh. for the first two months, it bugged me. Like, I couldn't stop looking at her like, you look exactly like – I wanted to tell her, but then I would have to explain who Kathy Ireland was and what Alien from L.A. was because she's, like, 20. And I'm like, well, okay, so before you were born, there was a TV show called Miss <laughs> – Yeah, that's a, that's a high compliment. Yeah, I'm not sure she would take it as a compliment, but I'm like, no, no, hold on a second. So some people, that's actually yeah. a pretty <laughs> – <laughs> You never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think those those flicks, because uh, Full Moon was always trying to sort of weasel their way into that world. Those movies don't really work for that. Yeah, purposely um, made cult films are really hard to make fun of. I like the dead serious yeah. ones. There's one from the 70s. It's an Italian uh, giallo film with Stuart Whitman and I want to say Donald Pleasance and somebody else. And it's called Blazing Magnum. And it's just ridiculous. Oh, nice. I swear there's a scene where the just everything goes wrong in this fight sequence, this uh, car chase sequence, but they keep filming. And you're just like, uh, that. I'm pretty sure someone just died. Well, how are you still filming this? And, and there's, they're fighting transvestites and midgets, and it's just really trashy and weird. Perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. That's exactly – pretty much any movie made in Italy between 1970 and 1990 could have been on that show. Um, and also that's why the made for TV movies tend to be so great because they're, uh, they're competently made, uh, and deadly serious, but often not good. Oh, you know what? I think I just remember the director. Was it Lee H. Katzen or something like that? Oh yes. I think so. Yeah. Cause he did tons of those movies been in TV shows back in the day. Yeah. And the more melodramatic, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I do enjoy someone I season. touched would be great. What's that? Someone I touched would be great. The made-for-TV movie. I would say, um, what was the one where Robert Carradine is calling? I want to say Shawnee Smith, and she oh. had she had seen him commit a murder or something like that. And I saw what you did. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's similar to Lisa, if you remember that movie. Yeah. Um, but yep. way more melodramatic. Chiller 
with uh, Michael Beck is ridiculous. The Wes Craven yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot Invitation of stuff. Invitation to Hell. Yeah, that's a great Wes one, Craven too. One. Holy shit. Uh, what's that? Club Med with Susan Lucci is the gateway to hell. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Why do we know these obscure things? This is bizarre. Like, I don't know things that would help me be successful in life, but I know obscure bullshit like this. Yeah, that's welcome to my world. Jeez. <laughs> All right. So that is it for our episode here. Um, I believe the next season is premiering on Netflix here in about a week. So check that out. I, I do like the new season. How do you feel about it? The new series, I mean. I liked it as well. I, it took a few episodes to pick up. But it once, did. Uh, Avalanche, Avalanche, I think, was the turning point. Yeah, I think because the first three movies you think would have been more entertaining. And I don't know why they – I don't like the Italian Hercules movies, though. Those sword sandal movies I find yeah, really boring. Yeah. You're it, right, though. Avalanche is a, a movie that I have rented more than once on my own um, because I'm a huge Robert Forster fan. And uh, Roger Corman always made great schlock. Yeah, and, and that's that movie they kind of gel as a cast. I think they kind of start getting the feel for it on that one. Yeah, so I, I look forward to it. The show's getting better, and um, uh, I think that's it. I don't know how to wrap up shows, so check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. <laughs> check out TV Guidance Counselor. This this guy's killing it. He see, I'm I'm too introverted to go out there and search out big names. You have like the you're brave. You're just like ah, give shit. I'll just go out there and I'll you know <laughs> you, you you just ask them. You just meet, ask them. You meet your heroes and me. I'm like I don't want to go to their party. I'm gonna hold my own little party. It's high school all over again, but in the podcasting world. <laughs> Get them to come to you, man. They'll come to your party. Yeah. Well, you come to my party. Your 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 podcast is way more popular than mine. But both in, like wow. at times insufferable nerds, so we get along. It's true. They're the best of us are. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll just say goodbye. See ya.